Hey, uh, I got a question for you. Yeah. What do you call the lady parts of an octopus? Oh, boy. We're going to start this early. Um, let me guess. An octopusy? No, it's called a mantle, you pervert. Ian Fleming's James Bond 007. You may now open the floor of the Code name? For your eyes only. Are you ready to get back to work? With pleasure, M. With pleasure. So for those of you that have been following us for the last year, you might remember a review of Octopussy in which my fellow co-host here uh, tried to set the world record for saying Octopussy during our 30-second reviews. It's official. uh, I got it. Yeah, I think... we might have to write the Genesis World Book of Records uh, for that obscure. Uh, yeah, the, <laughs> that's what I said. Yes, English is your second language. I know. It is. It is. So we are here, in fact, to talk to you about Octopussy. It is the 14th Bond book, if you can call it that, more of a collection of short stories. It's the 13th Bond film, released in 1983. A great year, if I may say so myself. Great year. Starring, sir. Roger Moore, happy belated birthday. Yep, happy belated birthday. The movie grossed $27.5 million. Um, no, I have that backwards. It grossed $187.5 million on a $27.5 million investment, which is a pretty good deal if you ask me. Yeah, that's a good, good return. Good ROI. Beating Never Say Never Again by... Never. Never Say Never Again. Never say never again. Never, never say never again. I got that out of the way. $20 million it beat it by. And everyone, uh, I guess that's a trouncing, if you would ask the critics. Mm. And, and in 1983, in, in those dollars, uh, beating a film by $20 million, uh, I think was a much bigger deal than we would say now. Mm-hmm. So for those of you joining us... Uh, you may have been alerted by Twitter or Facebook that our podcast was released today. While you were there, did you happen to notice Bonnie Over Bond is on Periscope? What? Check it out. We uh, Periscoped really quickly. Our first one, it was awkward. We fumbled <laughs> through it. I didn't know how to turn it off. <laughs> but we'll figure it out. You can see the red shirt. I wore the octopusy shirt that I hate so much. You did. I do have a red shirt, and every time I wear it, it reminds me of um, Roger Moore Mm -hmm. in that film. I don't have a black vest. I I should acquire that and just start going to work with that motif, seeing how that flies over. That would be nice. I liked it, though. Periscope was a nice addition. I can see using that a lot more often. I I think that's going to expand here a little more. I'm excited about that as well. Um, For those of you that did see us on Periscope, you'll notice that Bonding Over Bond is... um, Interstate? Uh, is it inter- interstate? Interstate. Yeah, we are interstate. Yeah, yeah at this we're point. an interstate podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
you know, we're, we've been, this is not the first time we've done the podcast. Uh, we test ran it a few times. So we were prepared mm-hmm. for, for this move and we're going to continue on to make it work. So how are you, man? How's, uh, how's life? Doing well. Lots of changes. Yeah. Lots Down. of, uh, lots of sickness from yes. what I understand. Um, yeah, some, we, uh, we, we probably advertised like four times on Twitter. Yep. Recording Octopussy today. Today. Nope. <laughs> How's tomorrow? Uh, let's try. We'll see. Uh, Our yeah. Twitter followers were like, how many versions of this podcast are they going to release? Yeah, it's just fighting a stomach bug or something, but good enough to record today. Uh, doing awesome. well back down in, the, in, in northern Florida, so it's nice to be here. You know, pros and cons, bittersweet, but it's ha- happy to be back recording. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. I'm good. How does it feel to live in a city with a football team so bad they're playing tonight and it's not even a topic of discussion that you would be watching that? Yeah, no, I saw an update on my phone and it said 27 to nothing at the half. Yeah, they're I was like, trounced. Yeah, it's upsetting because I really wanted to follow them a little more this time. But Yeah, there's no need. You already suffer enough as yeah. a, a Miami Dolphins fan. That's You know that pain well. That's I do. how we roll. Yep. I do. Hey, I see it's 59 degrees out there. Yeah, that thing may or may not work though. Plus or During, minus um, ten degrees. We have so I have a little thermometer thing here in the living room that I'm recording in, uh, and during high noon or a little before it, so probably like eleven thirty, one thirty from that time range where the sun is at like that high angle, um, that thermometer will read hundred degrees, and I'm pretty just certain that the sun it's just like direct sunlight, um, and it's broken. Yeah, I think that's it's, obscuring your reading a little bit. Yeah, just a skewing just it. A bit. Just a bit. So, Octopussy, man, how'd you feel about it? It's our second time around on on it. Probably like our 10th plus time seeing the film. Yeah, I would say that's fair. I, I really, really, really enjoy it. I'm looking forward to trying to defend it maybe a little bit more this time. I guess we're, it's not really a review podcast, so to say, but yeah, we're I'm, I'm going to make some points that... Sure. Try to defend a, it a, a little mounting better. defense of octopusy. I mean, I, I was I was a bit harsh on it in our review. You were a bit I, a bit hard. How, and how I'll, you, how, I'm going to shock you if I may right uh-huh. now. I too am going to make a mounting defense, not of octopusy. Um, and I, I then the last one I was clear on it, and I'll be clear on this one. Mm-hmm. Two thirds of the film, love it. Yeah, I'm still going to just shit all over that that last half, that last uh, third. Mm-hmm. But I am going to make a mounting defense of a sir roger moore in this film that's a change that's yeah have you done that to date just out of curiosity no, no. i don't think you have i don't think well uh the spy who loved me I was, oh that's true I was, that's true i don't know i probably didn't give a single ounce of credit to him though um i would have to go back and listen to that podcast it's all, probably all barbara brock i placed it probably all on the footsteps of barbara brock and uh jaws and the plot yeah. and just a phenomenal movie lewis gilbert directing yeah and then none of it. The only bad thing about this film is Roger Moore. <laughs> I can see myself saying that, but uh, yes, I can. No, see I'm going to make a defense of him. All right, that's good. Well, uh, you ready to bond? Um, really quick. Oh, there's some just, more. Um, just some parallels. <laughs> yeah. So, do you realize that um, our review podcast, Octopussy, it's almost a year. I did I, not to the date, but close to it. My mind, I I know it, it, the time frame is kind of the same longs, but I just it it dawned on me that literally, almost a, a, a week from now or so, would have been right around the time frame we went we went to see Spectre, 
and it is mind-boggling to me how much time, how fast time has gone since we, because it feels like yesterday. It literally feels like a few months ago we went and did that. It would have, yeah, yeah, just about. Uh, November, November 5th? Yeah, I mean, that yeah. was. And, and I, I mean, we were so high. You, I mean, I don't know if it, maybe because we were recording it, but I just remember how high we were mm-hmm. on Spectre about to come out when we were recording that podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and just crazy to think about how far we've come and how far we were from our goal a year ago. Remember, we were supposed to be done. We're only on Octopussy. <laughs> yeah, we were 13 little... films in. Yeah, we were yeah. Uh, a little behind. The the other funny thing is I was listening to that podcast to just kind of get a sense of what I had said, what we talked about. Um, I took a lot of notes in this film, and I'm like, oh, man, I have some really original ideas that I'm going to be talking. <laughs> I was like, no, dude, I said this same shit a year ago, <laughs> like verbatim. And it's like, at least I'm consistent. <laughs> I was like, you know how you felt. It. Yeah. Uh, Things are things are consistent. The other thing, and, I, and to me, this is kind of a, a tone setter, um, and just tying back to our, our last few podcasts. It was very interesting as I was working through this, creating notes, how close "Never Say Never" is linked to Octopussy, but how much Octopussy is not attached to or not even affected um, by "Never Say Never." Um, I mean, the entire time we're talking about. Never say never. We're watching it. We're doing notes on it. Octopussy is just back there in our minds. Um, but this film, and it just shows you the power of um, the James Bond franchise. So, you know, it just it stood on its own, mm. and it you know really wasn't affected by it. Um, so I, I you know just something something to note. And to me, it kind of like set my frame of mind. Um, you know, trying to focus in on Octopussy itself and not to be distracted by you know, any outside forces and, and just give it its due. Even though it did it did affect who starred as Bond in this movie. It did. It did. And that's something we'll talk about here in the next yeah. block. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we, you know, jump right into our MI6 brief, um, if you're listening to this podcast, follow us on Twitter. Where can they do that, Scott? At Bonding Over Bond. And if you're not a Twitter person but you're on Facebook, are we on there? We are. Uh, it's right. Bonding Over Bond Facebook page. Bonding, and just search for that. We just announced we're on Periscope, yep. uh, same at Bonding uh, Over Bond there. If you don't use Facebook, you don't use Twitter, but you have access to Google and the internet, where can you find us? Are you talking about Google Play? Are we talking about that yet? No, but we can bring that up. Yeah, this is the first yeah. podcast we've done where we can announce that we are on Google Play. So if you're an Apple user, Apple Store. If you're um, an Android user, you can go to Google Play. You can go to Stitcher. Podbean. You can go to Podbean. Um, you can go to our website and stream it. Yep. So we feel that we're creating a lot of different options for all types of listeners mm-hmm. um, out there. It took us a while, but we're really proud of that. Yeah. And that, that website, which if you go to bondingoverbond.com, it'll take us to wherever uh, either the site is up yet or yep. it's over to all the links that Arturo has brought up or Absolutely. we're currently hosted at Lionize Podcast backslash bondingoverbond. Right. And um, also check out any of our social medias. We're uh, testing out our marketing department. A a new, not necessarily, uh, I, I guess it is by theory a new logo because it is new that we've released it. Uh, we're not going to take away the, the first logo. No. Uh, kind of using them interchangeably, mm-hmm. uh, but just testing it out there. We've gotten some positive feedback. Yeah. Well, uh, what, so was, far. what was the one? Was that uh, Double O Pop? Double O Pop? Yeah. Yeah. I did not see that until he mentioned it. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I see that. I see. There we so go. Check that out on our on our Twitter page. Check out uh, Double o Pop's comment on the new logo. All right. So, um... are you ready to bomb? I am. Let's do this. All right. You are listening to the Bonding Over Bond podcast. You may now open your dossier for Segment A, The Mission Brief. Alright, so this brings us into the A block in, you know, just if you've listened to our For Your Eyes only before, we have an A block, a B block, and a C block, if you will, and this is where we kind of go over the bigger picture of things and the plot and the technical side of the film, if you will. Um, where we start breaking down the movie to some extent. Absolutely. And we start talking about the story around the film. Yeah, and I, I think Octopussy has one of the, um, I don't know if it better, but uh, one of the more intriguing uh, stories surrounding a film and a lot of the, I mean, one of the things that happens in between Bond films in order to keep the franchise up and about, there's, there's co- almost constantly a will he, won't he return. Um, that's almost been in every um, conversation in between Bond films. Even, I would say, um, you look at uh, Daniel Craig, where we knew by contract, you know, he's going to return after Casino. He's going to return after Quantum. But it's this conversation still there, you know. Um, is he tired? Is When's he coming? When's he going to be willing to do it? Mm-hmm. With this film, uh, Roger Moore is out of contract. He's yeah. not slated to return. Uh, For Your Eyes Only was going to be his swan song. And this is the one time that uh, we can kind of say Never Say Never had that real effect on Octopussy. Sean Connery uh, signs a contract to come back as James Bond. And the producers kind of felt, hey, we got to respond. We can't have a newcomer. Yeah, now's not the time. And this role, so they bring back, at this point, a 55-year-old Roger Moore. Where, in, in, in defense of Roger Moore, he said himself, I'm getting too old to play this role. Yeah. Can, but can you can you imagine what that environment what must have been like? It's like, oh, shit. Okay. It's getting real. McClory got, you know, he won his case. He's got Connery. If they beat us at our own game, we're done. And we have to go could- back and get Roger Moore. Yeah, and it's. I don't think this film's giving enough credit when you look historically and you rank them. And we'll talk about the rankings and the and the C block. But something that you can't put, you know, a ranking on. Octopussy saves this franchise. Yeah, and to some extent, um, which 
is huge mm-hmm. when you think when you put when you look at the larger context and the story surrounding it, um, and then looking at the the course of the what ifs, um, I didn't realize that uh, you know Tim Dalton's name was thrown out there, but it wasn't until um, A View to a Kill that that was really the film where Tim Dalton could have been. It was that one, and then For Your Eyes Only, Tim Dalton could have been, um, but he had turned it down a few times for this film. And I don't know if you ran across this, Scott. Um, James Brolin, he was the guy. He was under contract. And if you go to uh, YouTube, um, for any of our listeners, there's two um, screen tests that mm-hmm. are readily available on YouTube. And I watched them both. They're they're pretty quick. I think one's like three minutes. One's not even a minute long. Um, but it really gives you a sense of what they were looking to do. Um, James Brolin, for those of you that don't know, he is uh, Mr. Robert Streisand mm-hmm. right now, um, a renowned actor in his own right. Did you have you did you get to see the screen test by any chance? Not not in preparation for this, but I remember watching the extra features. That's right. They're recorded. also yeah yeah. I'm yeah. I'm sitting here drawing a blank on who who was the uh, female actor actress. That was in that test scene with him. Was it Kim he Basinger did, or was no, that... no? He did have at least the one I saw on YouTube. He does have a screen test with uh, Maude Adams. Okay, um, and he so he's like in a towel in like a yes, Sean Connery sized yes. towel. Yeah, I remember that. He had a hand towel on as a as a full size towel. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, uh, <laughs> pretty much. And then um, like she's in bed and they have some conversation. Yes, that's what I remember um, seeing as well in the extra. But the features. and then the other one is a fight scene. And besides, I would possibly say um, a few points in Sean Connery's younger days, and of course Daniel Craig, he was a physical bond. Mm-hmm. Like it was a very physical scene that they had. They were going younger. They were going physical. He was more um, um, hands-on. The one thing, and I couldn't get over this, and I think it would have killed the franchise. He was an American with an American accent. He wasn't trying oh, yeah. to attempt being British and um, I don't think I'll ever agree with a Yank playing James I don't, Bond. As Yankees, I don't think I can ever support that either. It just would be strange. I mean, it, I can see a spinoff. I can see a Felix Leiter spinoff or something where you do something heavy on the, I, I don't know. There's, there's things that, but it would just seem completely awkward to have an American playing James Bond. I think so. I think so. Um, even even an American that was able to just nail um, a British accent, um, I, I just don't. It's it's not an American character. There's just you know, no matter how good of an actor you are, um, unless you're like some Daniel Day Lewis method actor, yeah. I don't think you can you know live being British. And there's just something about James Bond. He's British to the core, which is. Not to say that, um, of course, you know, Lazenby, I think, stepped into the, the role, but there's obviously a, you're, you're a little more British if you're Australian than you, than you are if you're from the United States. That's and, true. Um, yeah. Pierce, obviously being Irish, but still you're, you're obviously a, infinitely more, um, attuned to that world, yeah, uh, than, than you are if you're here from the United States and just understanding what, you know, the, the stiff upper lip. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, there's not many Americans that, can just understand that and are, yeah. are part of that culture that can bring that to the character. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was just really, just really interesting. 
Um, and you know, again, one of those those what ifs that just have a huge impact on on the entire on the entire series. No, I totally agree with you. I don't think, as I said, that there's not much place for an American playing James Bond. So those are all good points. Um, going forward, was the plot was there a good driving factor? Was the plot a good driving factor in the film? You know what I I, th- I thought it was, and looking from the plot, not necessarily like breaking down. Um, the the actual plot itself, but looking at how it was set up with the B story, starting off there uh, with looking at General um, Orloff. Yep. Um, so looking at General Orloff and like the kind of tension with uh, Gogol, and you know starting there, and that's your B plot, mm-hmm. and then switching over to the A plot and this Fabergé egg that uh, 009 just drops to the British Embassy. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have these two plots that are going parallel to each other and I think beautifully collide. And that's, you know, you see it more in sitcoms where you have like an A, B, and sometimes C. And with sitcoms, they don't really know how to bring them to the fold together. Um, but in the movie, you know, a lot of times you can have multiple plots that just you're juggling and they don't collide together. And this is one of those examples, you know, if you're a script writer and you're looking how to have an A and B just come together and, and really drive each other mm-hmm. uh, because that's the 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 mystery device um, that they're chasing, like the MacGuffin of the film is what is this egg? Like, why is it important? And as the B plot is moving along, you start to get this sense that, um, you know, Orloff is moving these Russian treasures mm-hmm. around and that's that really does drive forward the mystery and it it allows the a plot of finding out what the egg is for to really get into what i thought was a good spy film yeah for two-thirds for two-thirds of that film um, I, I, and we i get we get a spy film yeah and i i have to say i like i understand the need for the b plot mm-hmm. but the a plot to me is just far more interesting part of the movie like the b part is like okay like you said it's the vessel to get you to learn about the a part but i right. thoroughly enjoyed uh kamal khan octopussy far more than the necessary evil of the orloff portion of the plot especially this time around because i remember last time when we reviewed it i was like oh yeah there's definitely you know and you and i even agreed at the time there's there's a team of villains here but after listening after watching the movie again I really feel, and we're going to dive into this later, but I really feel Kamal Khan is the villain of this film. Mm-hmm. And and we can dive into that more later, but I really got a lot more respect for Kamal Khan this time around on the watch. So looking forward to discussing that with you as well. Did you know, um, you know, just looking, you know, not to veer off plot here, but the actor who played Kamal Khan, he was up to be... Um, What's his face from? Um, I know his name's Louis Jordan, and yes, because I remember I made the comment. I'm sure he's passed by now. On when we did the the um, review format, and he had actually only passed a few months. It was about half a year because I, I looked up who he was and what he's known for. But uh, Stromberg, he was up to be Stromberg. Oh, he would have been a good Stromberg. I thought so too, and yeah. I think I would have. Love that character almost as much as you rank him. Yeah. Um, if he had been Stromberg. Yeah. He just has that vibe. 
yeah. of like he's just a, a an oily salesman like that, just sneaky. Just, yeah, you know, he I has just, an air about him. Um, and but he's also like this motherfucker's up to something. No, that's what I love. Like you know, preparing to talk about Octopussy again and just diving into Octopussy, listening to the review again to bring it up. But to quote you at one point, you just said, "Yeah, fuck that guy." <laughs> <laughs> and I just every time I heard that I just laughed out loud because that's how you felt when you watched Kamal Khan. He was like, "That dude is up to something. He's up to no right. good, right? Yeah, just but, double and triple crossing everybody." Yeah, and and that goes to the plot device. How how much like he, you know, as a character, you know, does intertwine the A and the B, and he's living in both those worlds. And mm-hmm. he is. I mean, he's running quite the con game. He's conning the Russians. He's conning Octopussy. He's conning Bond. Like, he's just, you know, turning, you know, a, a double face to everybody. And yeah. I, I thought he just did a, a great job with the character and it made it very believable um, in, in doing that. And, and was necessary. If he had botched that role, I, I think it tears down the whole film. You know, it's funny. Uh, we're continuing to go down this rabbit hole, but this makes me wonder, like, what was his ultimate driving force? Just to make money? I, I think they addressed that in the film, but he was like... He's an exiled uh, Afghan prince. Afghan prince. I, I don't know if they give him a, like a super motive, like which kind of makes him even the more like he's just doing this because like he can. Like he's yeah. That's that's how he makes it's his bread is butter mm-hmm. is smuggling shit and just like being this you know connector of villains, just you know, in the underworld. Yeah. Um, and more just like to create chaos and you know at the end of the day if it, it all works out he gets his he gets you know everything you know and he comes uh, on top and he gets to continue you know being the best at what he does but unfortunately you know plane plane crashes and stuff what do you think of the direction of the film um you know john glenn uh returning for so he what is his stretch? For your eyes all the way to License to Kill, right? Yeah, he had a good run after this. I don't have it in front of me. I just know this was his second his second time. But then he but he was an editor going all the way back to Spy. You know, so he has some pedigree and, and um Eon Productions they do they like to stay in house when possible. They've kinda of gone away from that a little bit, but um they do like that. So the the direction of the film as I'm watching it, there were moments where there was like subtle direction shots where I was like, okay, I see where this like this guy is trying to add something in the series. The big one that stands out to me um, is the first person um, gun where Bond is sliding down the stairs. I thought that was like a really interesting perspective. And he just has like these small moments where he does things like that as a director, like where he's putting the camera and the angle that he's showing things at. Mm-hmm. Um that I thought stepped up more than some of the Bond directors in the past, where it was a very passive camera. Yeah. The camera was there, you know, setting up a um, location shot and then just setting back, especially in the Connery era. It's just like, you know, you're capturing a scene, mm-hmm. um, but you're not really um, putting the camera in places to affect how the audience is interacting with the film. And I really, and I kind of wish he, th- there was more of that. Um, and you know, these little things would come up and I'm like, oh, that's great. Um, but because it was so few and far between, it almost seemed jarring. Um, so oh, looking I, at the I larger never, picture, I never felt that at all. Really? No, never at all. Maybe because I was like, I was actively, I watched it. Yeah. Um, I watched the first two thirds 
again for direction. And okay. so I was actively looking at it. And then maybe that's why it caught me more. Yeah. Um, where I would see it and get really excited. And then it will cut back to, you know, more of a traditional Bond style mm-hmm. um, that they had been doing. I was like, oh, you know, come on, man. Do some yeah. more. I did see one of his signature with the birds startling Bond when, when uh, Bond is going around the outside of the Monsoon Palace. Yeah, man, that's like a weird motif. Like, I know yeah. directors have a lot of things. Like, Steven Spielberg's, like, really known for feet. Mm-hmm. That's something, like, he always, like, pans really low at the feet and stuff. Um, and then Marty Scorsese has, like, those fade-ins he's really famous for. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, it's, like, so Hitchcockian, almost. Mm-hmm. Like, and it just doesn't fit in the Bond motif. Well, uh, like, Louis, Louis Jordan was, did Alfred Hitchcock stuff, didn't he? I thought I, 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 thought I that. read that, so maybe that's how that got its way in there. Maybe he recommended it. Who knows? But he had been doing that in all the films. I, um, oh yeah, he's started. Yeah, that's he had like done a thing that Glenn eyes. does. Yeah. Like he he's going to put like a moment where a bird flies in front of your face yeah. and is like, Wah! yeah, because he you did know, that in License of... to Kill. It comes to memory. I can't remember Living Daylights, but he definitely does it in For Your Eyes. And For Your that... Eyes, yeah, he's climbing up the hill and yep. the birds. Yeah, that's true. So he had already set that tone. Okay, we'll strike that. What did you think of the soundtrack? Um, you know what? I, it's kind of disappointing. And as you can hear, you know, the last, the, the, the first song we played in between our intro and, and the A block, to me, like, that's the best one. And the rest of them are, are we've been trying to use soundtracks more. Um, and the For Your Eyes Only series, it's really, like, subdued. It's not, you know, like, you listen to the soundtrack and it's, it's like, repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I don't know I wasn't a big fan of the soundtrack I'll say that simply I mean I'll tell you how much it impressed me I could not point out a single nothing comes to mind all right and I didn't take a bunch of notes on it because it didn't impress me that much and you know how I feel about the title song which there was some interesting trivia on that did you do you ever know about that no, like, tell me, uh, I didn't really look into it because, um, uh, let's see, I give all of uh, zero fucks about all the time, all time high. Yeah. yeah, it's the first Bond film theme song not to include the title because they tried to make a song with Octopussy in it, but it was too difficult, so they defaulted to a singer they had used before and used all time high. Mm. So I thought that was disappointing. Yeah, Which, that's kind of tough. How do you fit Octopussy in a song? Yeah, it's it's kind of, doesn't roll off the tongue. No, it don't, not really. Um, yeah, I, uh, I that kind of I don't know if this is the right place to bring it up, but I also kind of wondered why even call this Octopussy? Why not call this Property of a Lady? I think Property of a Lady, even though I know it's a short story and only covers the. Uh, auction portion of the movie property of a lady fits I mean, better in this title to me that octopuses. that's what they named the faberge egg so it is the they brought it in there i know they teased it they followed the book i i haven't read it you know to full disclosure I, I i'm way behind on the reading side of the james bond sphere so they i i know they picked the name of the film and then because this is one of the uh, few trivia's that i found just highly entertaining mm-hmm. um they they had the name of the film Octopussy and they could not figure out how they would justify calling it, continue to call it Octopussy if they didn't even hint at the plot of the short story Octopussy. And that's where they give Octopussy's backstory. Which Um, I thought that was kind of 
heavy. And we're going to get to that in a okay, bit. Okay, I, I, yeah. I have a lot of things okay. to say about that, and and that's going to be at another point. Um, but I, I mean, that's a great point uh, when you, when you're looking at, um, you know, the just the aesthetics of the film. You know, titling is important, and I would, I, I mean, the octopusy just sounds like. Is there a more James Bond sounding movie title than Octopussy? Not, not much. Goldfinger. I mean, I, I, mean, I would argue are... that if you go to a just a person off the street and you said which of the following is a James Bond film, and besides like Golden Eye or Golden anything with gold, don't use anything with gold, <laughs> and you list any three films, two random ones, and Octopussy. I would subs- I would s- suspect that a number of people would be like, oh yeah, Octopus. Yeah, it's a James Bond. Has Octopus. to be. Yeah. And so can you, I mean, can you just imagine the marketing department never say never starting Sean Connery going against property, property of a lady? Good point. No, that's a great, that's a valid point. Yeah, they needed, they needed as much shock and awe, if you will, and right. no, known imagery as possible to fight against that. That's a good point. And so we have, you know, the somebody comes with a script, you have somebody directing, you have the soundtrack over the film, but of course you have to have humans show up uh, to a a film and act in it. Um, What were your thoughts on the acting of Octopussy? I mean, in general, I, I, I thought it was, I, the main roles, I like Kamal Khan. Yeah. I thought Octopussy did a fine job. I thought there was chemistry between Octopussy, Roger Moore. I thought, you know, VJ and Saturn, they were great sidekicks. The acting wasn't that bad. Uh, Miss Magda didn't impress me that much, but I think for what her role was, she was fine. So I think in general, the acting was fine. I, I mean, I agree with you note for note on that. Okay, uh, yeah, it's I, adequate I mean, my acting notes, for a James Bond film. I, mean, I don't know if I would say, I would say above a- uh, adequate. I really enjoyed the acting yeah. in this film. I think everyone brought their A game. Um, they like really invested in the roles. Nothing seemed campy. And there, there's a mm. ton of... Well, for two thirds. Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in two thirds of this film, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna try to stay as positive for as long as possible, and then I'll become an angry oaf uh, here on the back end of this podcast. Uh, but for two thirds of the film, there's I think a, like even VJ. VJ could have been a character that was portrayed as pure camp. Oh yeah, but he wasn't. You know, like oh. he actually invested into this character. Um, and I it made it believable in a sense that it didn't take me out of the film, and I was like, "Oh, this fucking guy, like, yeah. you know, like this clown of yeah, a character." He, he could have been. Just there was like, no. There was. I'll put it like this: coming from the previous film, being for your eyes only. Uh-huh. There was no. What was his name? BB. BB doll. Yeah. No. That, yeah. B, yeah. That was for your eyes only, was it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was. Yeah. Your your hatred of BB doll. Yeah. There, yeah. Yes. I see where. A thousand sons. And like Sheriff Culpepper or whatever from was that Golden Gun or Live and Let Die, both. Yeah. Or uh, Christmas Jones. I mean, good God. Yeah. And There's been some terrible acting in this series. And I would say Octopussy didn't have it. Although your one note, you mentioned Magda. Not necessarily the acting was bad. I just thought the character was poorly written. Yeah. There could have been so much more of her. Um, and I would have liked to have seen more. I bet of you the would. the character. <laughs> now, and talking about VJ, did you know he was a tennis pro? Yeah. And he yeah. was like legitimately afraid of snakes. Oh, really? So, yeah, so when they were filming that first scene where he's yeah. uh, the snake charmer, like, he legit yeah. was just, like, 
No, thank you. I say I love that. And I reading reading, you know, in the Bond world, there were some people that thought like when he played the 007 tune to to get James Bond attention mm-hmm. on the uh on the Snake Charmer trumpet, whatever you call that instrument. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, that was too much. I, said, I love that. That w- I thought they they found the right level of entertainment. Like this is a Bond film to me. It's 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 fun. You know, it's yeah. And then, I don't think there was anything wrong with that. No, I mean, and 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 learning that he was a famous tennis pro that made his jokes about when he was going undercover as a tennis pro uh-huh. at the club. Well, my backhand has improved. You know, I mean, that just like that. Yeah, this is whole level of joke here that if i was in that era growing up i'd be like oh yeah that's right that's good you know so yeah absolutely took me some years but anyways is there think? is there anything just on the surface level that stands out to you um about the production or direction the titles of the film um that you know you want to touch base on or that you think is worth mentioning before we dive into some bond. Um, I, I here I am doing a poor job defending this film again. You know, from a high on, last time. on a high yeah. level surface, but I think the directing was good, and and we're going to talk about this more in the B section. But I know you've used this, and you talked about uh, Chris Nolan movies and mm-hmm. and, other, and other situations. So much chase. This movie is so much chase. It keeps you stuck to it. It keeps you entertained. It has the right amount of comedy. So I thought the direction was great. The soundtrack was lacking. The acting was great. You know, I said adequate, but, you know, it it, it didn't stand out bad or, like, dramatically good where, like, say, George Lazenby in the scene after Tracy gets killed where, like, that was some real emotion. I like that, you know, but... I thought the script was well done. I thought there were some good conversation pieces, and I liked it. I liked the location. I don't necessarily understand the location. I, I like the want, location. I know they wanted to use India. I know it fits in well with the British, you know, uh, imperialism, you know, and, and that whole aspect of it. But I don't necessarily see the aspect of why they went to India plot point wise. Mm-hmm. It could have gone anywhere, you know. But uh, I, I and I thought I thought it was a respectable. A portrayal of the location much more than uh, you only live twice, and I thought it was an example of yeah, how absolutely. Um, you know, I kind of wish that Bond would do more of this, where they kind of like just take some time in a location, and I feel like they did that a little bit in the eighties. Like, um, we're going to be in Afghanistan here, and what two movies, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, then. Um, they kind of slow down and, and just be in a place uh, mm-hmm. much more starting with the, like the Pierce Brosnan era. It's just like location, 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 location. Yeah. Um, and to an extent where sometimes even in the uh, Daniel Craig movies, it's just like, wait, how did he get there again? Oh, yeah. Like, he- helicopter. You know, there's what, an airport. Did he up transport the at, at, at this point? Yeah. I would say the only thing and, and this is great. This is why we're partners. Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth with uh, Christopher Nolan. So. I'm writing down, you know, based off of this question, is there anything else that stands out to me? And I wrote down, I want underlying to love this film. Mm-hmm. And this is what, like, I, I really tried thinking about articulating this two-thirds, one-third um, idea that just rubs me the, the wrong way so much. If they could have done a complete film 
I will argue that Octopussy could have rivaled from Russia with Love as James Bond in a spy film. And Moore does this also in Moonraker. I mean, I'm a huge mm. fan of two-thirds of Moonraker. Mm. And if he had just finished the final third of Moonraker and this one, I think my opinion of Moore and Moore's legacy radically changes based agree. off of those two-thirds. If he could have nailed... And it's not but, him. It's not him. And I need to stop, you know, putting it on Roger Moore. He didn't write the films. He yeah. didn't direct the films. He he was a professional that tried to do the best with some of the dog shit that was given to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I need to start projecting some of the anger at the script writers and the direction for not saying, like, we're wasting this man's talent. Mm-hmm. Like, he is a well-trained character or actor who, like, truly invested a lot of time in James Bond and, and tried to bring something unique to it. And I think Octopussy, to me, perfectly parallels how I view Roger Moore as James Bond. Yeah. Starts off great, gets really slow in the middle, and then just burns and crashes at the end. And I don't think anyone can mount an argument that A View to a Kill was how you want to exit your career as James Bond. Oh, absolutely not. It was, And this should have been his swan song. Yeah. A win versus Sean Connery. Yep. Walk Boom. away. Walk away. How that didn't happen is beyond me. Now, mentioning Christopher Nolan, Mm -hmm. and I put it down in my notes. I think it's – let me go back to it here real quick. Um, One minute and 13 seconds. I write, starting to get slow. One one hour and 13 seconds. One hour and 31 seconds. Here's a horrible red outfit. (laughs) One hour and 52 – or 52 minutes. Clown. So from (laughs) – Simple note, clowns. Clown. Sad face. Um, right. And then in there, there's like three notes I write like, okay, here's some redemption in between that. Um, but what Christopher Nolan does is he will continue to build tension mm-hmm. and this almost roller coaster-like upward spiral mm-hmm. and then just drop off at the very end. And in the whole movie is just up, 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 tension, tension, tension. Octopussy loses the tension spectacularly. When James Bond gets to India and he has that first interaction with Octopussy, they have this wonderful sequence where he is in Kamal Khan's castle, whatever house, monsoon palace. Sneaking around. Yeah, the monsoon palace. Yep. And I'm like, yes, this is great. It's wonderful. And then he gets to Octopussy and it's like, TV timeout. Yeah. Let's switch gears here. Yeah. Let's uh, slow this bad boy. And it's like, why? Yeah. Why did you do that? And that's, I think, just. And I, I, I don't know. I can't get over the fact that unprompted, um, you mentioned Chris Nolan because I was, I would shit my pants if he ever directed a Bond film. <laughs> I would be so pumped for Christopher Nolan to direct a Bond film. I mean, you never know, right? He Men- fits the pedigree. I Mendes mean. is not coming back, right? No, he said he's done. Well, we'll see. I, I don't know. The only thing, the only problem I have with that is still, I, I like everything you say. Closing note is to to say i get the argument mm-hmm. i understand where you're going two-thirds one-third but to compare how they wrapped up octopussy to how they wrapped up moonraker i don't know moonraker was just way over the top i mean it, it took forever laser big old thunderball version of space scene with lasers i mean it, the the downfall, I think the big downfall of how they wrapped up Octopussy was the whole 
we have to go attack the Monsoon Palace. If they hacked that out and found a way to smoothly transition from de no, defusing the bomb and just getting rid of Kamal Khan and Gubinda, the movie would wrap up nicely. We can talk about that more. But I actually, have, yeah, that's part. I have a story about Octopus, and that's part of it. Okay. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah. what do you think? You ready to move on? It's a good chat. A good chat. Ready to dive into it some more? Yeah, let's do it. I'm Art with Scott. We'll be back after this. Next, join Scott and Art with 007, Segment B, Bond, James Bond. All right, well, uh, welcome back. We're in, uh, into the B block, and this is Bonding Over Bond podcast. We're uh, talking about Octopussy in the For Your Eyes Only format, so this is really for the fan diving into it, uh, as you should know by now, because you're in the B-Block. Absolutely. The Bond, James Bond. Get it, B? I get, oh, I get it. Ha, ah, I get it. Ah, there you ah, go. Ah, ah, ah. So, Scott, let me ask you, we, you've seen this film again. Mm-hmm. Where does this fall into the series for you? Not a ranking. We're going to talk about that in approximately two and a half seconds, or two and a half minutes. But... Does it, does it change for you? Where does Octopussy fall in the legacy of the Bond series? See, it's hard It's hard for me to split. I, I see what you're trying to do there, but it is... You know I'm an analytical person, so it's hard for me to just split up ranking. Because mm -hmm. I'm already doing that in my mind. But where does it... It's, it is one of the enjoyable films. That when, a, okay. whenever it's on TV, I'm probably going to at least sit down and watch some of it. And if anybody was like, hey, let's, I've never seen this movie, I'll watch it. What about you? How do you feel about it? I, I we touched upon this on the A block, uh -huh. and um, you know maybe just out of turn, but it's something I, I I think should be talked about more. I think Octopussy saved the series. Yeah, and I don't know if it gets that credit enough when you know every everybody wants to put a, together a list, and I I get it. We've done it. We have one. You can go to our site, in fact, and click on our running rankings and look at that list. Bonningrobot.com. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, when you do the list format, you kind of don't have a place to talk about legacy. Mm -hmm. um, you you can't really rank legacy. And Octopussy has one that maybe we should champion or somebody should. And, and just say, you know, if there's no Octopussy, James Bond dies in the 80s. It's as simple I, as that. It's a 20-year adventure. I see a simple shirt. All it says is, I am an Octopussy fan. I don't know. I mean, that's just so simple, but that's just, you want to champion it? You know, let's get out there and embrace it. Yeah. We, we can work when, on it. Yeah. Our marketing department is, they're revving up that department. Yeah. We're going to start getting those shirts and those stickers for our fans. That's, that's right. That's coming. That's coming. That's uh, year two of Bonding Over Bond. We're in it. Um, but then also looking at the, at the legacy, um, and I talked about this again in the A block, a little out of turn. I do think Octopussy, ironically enough, is one of the more recognizable titles. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when, 
when people think of a James Bond film, you know, I think Octopussy comes to mind um, more so than some of the other ones. It's just, it's a part of pop culture, mm-hmm. you know, one one may say, um, which then leads, it is very difficult and, and you are an engineer by nature. And so analytics is a huge thing. Um, did the ranking change for you? Um it's difficult now because I'm, you know, I'm also a person of the now. So yes, I'm very high in this movie right now. Would I put it? You are. I, your rankings are so so fucking ADD, man. Just freaking, whatever right now is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. You know, I thoroughly enjoy, and I hope our listeners do too. When, especially in our review podcast series, when we would come together and we would do rankings, mm-hmm. when I could talk you out of a ranking. <laughs> You'd be like, you know what? Let me. Uh, I'm going to edit this on. I'm going to do an active <laughs> correction right now. Yeah. So I'm sitting here looking at this. I have it in the uh, 13th spot. So I have it pretty high to begin with. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. I had it on 20th. Yeah. So I guess the real question is, have you changed yours? I mean, because just real quickly to answer your question, I have it below Quantum of Solace and above Diamonds Are Forever. I could see it on many days going above Quantum of Solace because I struggle to go- watch Quantum of Solace sometimes. I versus we, I just our, thoroughly enjoy Octopussy. Our Twitter, uh, whoever runs that, we got into an active conversation about uh, Quantum of Solace mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter. And it uh, turns out that our Twitter is uh, quite the supporter of uh, Quantum of Solace, <laughs> which Good might enough. tip your hand on who runs the Twitter more yes. than the other person. Just a just a tad bit. Just a uh, heads up there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I actually, like, I sat down and I looked, so... I had the movie ranked 20th. Um, I said maybe it could jump to 17, um, and that would leapfrog Diamonds Are Forever. That's a pretty substantial jump, and considering. Yeah. You know, um, the song, I had it 18th. No, there's no way it moves any higher. Uh, the cold open, I had it at 17th. There's no way it jumps any higher. Really? Um, yeah. That I still that, The song I get, I actually think you're high on the song. I think you're way high in the song. I actually have this as my 24th ranked song. And the, yeah, we talked about this, but you have it above three blind mice then, which I find. And you have it above below. Madonna's well, Die. Well, or when below. you say below, yeah. Below, I mean, three blind mice and Madonna's Die Another Day, which yeah. is inexcusable. I know you hate that. That song is not that bad. All time high. Uh, yeah, we don't have to beat a dead horse here. Speaking of can dead we, horse. Can we sidetrack? Can we take the detour of all detours since Madonna's name came up? Oh, my God. And okay. this is not a political discussion at all, but I just don't understand the logistics. Madonna made some comment that she would blow people to vote for Hillary. Like, how do you want, like, how can you make that kind of statement? And then two, like, how do you fact check? And what are the logistics behind that? Like, I couldn't, I, I read, I read this on social media and I literally was like, what? Yeah. How it's is like, this? A, how? I, I wonder if anybody will call her out on it. Sold, like right when she said that, sold, and then take a picture of your ballot going in. That is a quite a detour, by the way. That, uh, it, it, it just, it, it you blows. said the word Madonna, and it's something that I am uh, internally puzzled. It literally, if I ever met Madonna, that would be my first question. Be like, how did that work for you? How did that, and your entire 50-year career, I want to talk about this one moment, just really briefly. Yeah. What? What? Second question: Did you have an affair with Warren Beatty? Did that was that a thing? Did I, I've heard rumors back from Batman or Warren Beatty. I always say his name. Is it Warren Beatty or Warren? 
I always thought it was Beatty. Warren Beatty? Yeah. Or not Batman, Dick Tracy. I said Bat- from Batman. That's You're talking when they were on Dick Tracy together? Yeah, they were on Dick Tracy together. I like that movie. That's an underrated movie, I think. That it's is a great movie. Great, great performance by Al Pacino in that film. I'm a huge yeah. Al Pacino fan. Yeah. For our listeners that didn't know, one of my favorite actors of all time. Wow, we got off track here. We quickly got off track. You know whose name I've said wrong my entire life, and it's very embarrassing? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, my goodness. Um, uh, Jeff... <laughs> Goldblum. Goldblum? I said Goldblum my entire life. It's That's not. not right. It's Jeff Goldblum. Kind of like when we said Ralph Fiennes, Ralph Fiennes, Ralph Fiennes, Ralph Fiennes. Yeah. It was, no, that's Rafe. Rafe Fiennes. It's Rafe. We should have known that. That was, uh, that was a misstep. That's, I mean... That's on our corrections page. It is on our corrections page. Uh, you can't see that page because it's hidden, but yeah. it's on our corrections page. <laughs> All right, let's get back on track. Okay, yeah, I'm ready. Sense. I'm ready. Uh... Yeah, so the, regardless of the song, where did you have the, the cold the the cold open? Did you have it? You were saying you were criticizing. I have it at ten. You have it at ten? Why not? Why would you not have it high? That I, was one I, of the, you I, didn't like you didn't like the BD jet the little no, jet it's, and the horse. Here's ass the thing: or? I felt about cold opens. I literally I looked at Octopussy and I was like, so right above it is Doctor No. And I was like, can mm-hmm. I move it above Doctor No? Maybe because Doctor No has a. I technically does not have a, you know, like a cold open per se in the other sense of it. But then above that, Living Daylights, Moonraker, You Only Live Twice, Man with the Golden... I was like, no, no, no. Yeah, I have living the Living Daylights. No, it's not going above I mean, that. of all the rankings we do, the opening sequence, it is the only one where you have to go into like... It's not up until probably number 20 at Live and Let Die where I'm just like, that ah, kind of sucked. Yeah. But even then, I'm like, I, I mean, I like the cold opens. Mm-hmm. I have On Her Majesty's Secret Service all the way at 21, which probably should That's move so a I. lot higher. That's reminds me. Um, because I like that one. I actually, on a rewatch, I liked it. Eh, it'll probably stay the same for me. Anyway, the cold anyways, opens are good. This series, can, if they know how to do cold opens. Can we have a nice spirited debate about where the hell they were at in the cold open? Um, I mean... I just spiritually want to believe they're in Cuba, but then you sent me a text and um, you made a very valid point. I just don't want to believe because in my heart, I was just, yeah, Bond's in Cuba, man. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of people in the Bond sphere that said that. There's people that Because they have like, they have that Fidel Castro knockoff. That knockoff. Yeah. Can I ask you a question since we're there? And I don't know if this is the place for it. Uh You're you're a pilot. Mm -hmm. How the hell does that plane go through the hangar with special effects is that that's not aeronautically possible is it uh, yeah believe it or not i mean if the airplane can yeah knife edge like that yeah airplanes do that if they have enough rudder control if they have enough rudder control enough rudder positive control to keep the angle of attack of the nose in an upward position to overcome the drag of the airplane and gravity yeah, you can fly a knife edge like that. And there's enough enough thrust. Yeah, you could you could definitely do that. You probably not do it a million times, you know, but you'll probably hit something, clip something, you know, pilot error. But you know, physically, yes, that can be done. Okay, I was just now curious. whether or not that airplane, that BD, that BD jet has that control authority. I don't know. But, no, it's not impossible. And if you go to okay. many air shows. Sorry, you got me on the topic. I really like to go into the, the weeds. No, and that's why I wanted to ask you. But and that, that that plane, 
That's uh-huh. a, like a legitimate thing that can actually that's happen. Real. Yes, that's that's, that's real? a real aircraft. Yeah, nice. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and the special effects they did on that—they actually put it on a car. It's such a light aircraft. It, it, uh-huh. I don't. It held records for a while. It was like the lightest aircraft, one of the lightest aircraft ever made. So I, it was really cool that they did that. They, you can fly it like a kite, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, you, you saw how small it was. It pretty much. Right. It's a small rocket engine, or I think it's a. I think it's a rocket powered engine, but liquid rocket, but. Yeah, you can do that. And then what I had said to you was, though, you know, why don't just come out and they had the they had the star on the uniform. They had the Fidel Castro knockoff, you know, but this is also in the 80s where I was like, well, the U.S. invaded Grenada at the same the same year. And they also have a similar star logo, except it's not blue and light blue and what have you. And it also could be Panama. You know, I don't. So I don't know. I wasn't completely sold that it's Cuba. I think having the Fidel knockoff kind of makes it implied that it's Cuba. I don't think there's enough. I don't think there's enough details. Yeah, you sent me that text, and I did all of zero research. (laughs) You're like, no, that's Cuba. To defend uh, my position, besides the feeling inside my heart, I don't think it's really defensible. I think that is the intent. It's James Bond is on a mission. Yeah, because I even looked at the Falkland Islands. You know, because I know that. The conflict with uh, Argentina and, and the Brits was around that era. It it was just wrapping up in '83, wasn't it? Was it? I I, I can't I believe remember. So. Was that it. so, you know. But and then I even heard on the because you know I watched the film with the tra- with the the text on the bottom. Uh-huh. They said uh, they said Rio de Janeiro in the film. So I was like, well, I mean that's Brazil, right? So yeah, it's kind of close to Argentina, but. They could have been talking about Lord knows what. So, anyways, that was my side thought on that. Do you think that actor that they hired uh, is referred to as the Spanish Roger Moore? That was a pretty good lookalike. Toro? Yeah. You're a Toro, I'm a Toro? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so. He was. It was interesting. It's my name, man. Is it? Oh. Arturo? No, Toro. No, they said Arturo. No, it's Toro. It's Colonel no. Toro. Colonel no. Luis? Yes, Man, come on. I want to hear what I want to hear, man. I, my heart I was so tell. happy. They're this in Cuba. Cuban? They're, they're saying they're my Cuban? name. Yeah, exactly. No, that seems whatever Colonel I want it to be. Luis Toro was what his badge yeah, no. said. I went well, slow I, and looked. I could give a shit about his badge. Okay. I know what they wanted to say. <laughs> All right. Moving on. All right, fine. Be like that. Yep. Is there... I don't know where the right place that... I have, I have a, I, excuse me. I have Octopussy as a bottom tier film. Where do you have it at? Middle tier, kind of high. Middle tier. Okay. Yeah, I All have right. it at thirteen. No, it's it's almost smack dab. No, it's not. It's thirteen. So it's just ha- It's over the halfway point. Yeah. But it's in the middle tier. Okay. Okay. <sighs> so is James Bond as portrayed by Sir Roger Moore and written by? Give me a second here. Was it Richard Maybaum? Talking the script? Mm-hmm. I think it was Maybaum. Michael G. Wilson gets uh, screenplay credit on this, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so as written by Wilson and Maybaum, uh-huh. is James Bond James Bond? Um, No. No, I mean, in some ways, yes, but... I think the argument would be is you're you're referring to how he is in the written word. I wouldn't. Okay. No, I I think just a cin- cinematic version of James mm-hmm. Bond. 
Um, and I would argue uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is your distinguished debauchery. Mm-hmm. I think that is the perfect, those characteristics are who James Bond is. Sidetrack, did you see that uh, article that we tweeted out? Um, the head of MI6 said to, like, he didn't say today, but he said in an interview in The Telegraph, um, wrote an article about it, that James Bond would not be an MI6 spy. Like, they would not hire him. <laughs> okay. And that it is a negative portrayal of the MI6 and that they are moral people. That they are they have a high moral integrity for um, the work that they do in behalf of Britain. And I was like, that's dude, did, of, anyone, think, kind of did anyone think that, that James Bond was the average MI6 spy? Was a drunken, whore-mongering World War II vet that, come on, like... See, I don't necessarily look at all the things, you know, you know, talking about distinguished debauchery. Those are the fun things about James Bond, but he's he varies a lot, even from actor to actor and film to film. But those, I mean, those are the characteristics yeah, when absolutely. you think about the cinematic James Bond. Besides, I mean, we don't have it because it's just not niche and you can't really speak to it. But James Bond has always been, he's a patriot above all. I mean, yeah, what Queen immoral country. thing did he do in this movie? In this film, not had, much. I mean, but throughout the series, two, he did have. Yeah, I know. Right. I mean, he's fucking half the time throughout his <laughs> missions. I mean, that's not pretty. That's not kind of the kind of spy work. <laughs> he's not married. What? What is he? I mean, he's, half the time M can't find him because he's like he's balls getting, deep in someone. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this is consenting between adults most of the time. And most of the time, I mean, yeah, it's definitely ninety nine percent of the time James Bond does receive consent. Yes. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's interesting. I have to I have to go back and look at that because that kind of yeah. pisses me off. I mean, why does it piss you off? I don't know. It's just like we are of such high moral standing. You know, we have we hold. A... Come on, I mean, I know I know we're talking about a fictional character and a professional spy organization. You know, who's in charge of protecting the country, but. I don't know, to say that he is such an immoral person is just kind of over the top for me. He saved the world how many friggin' times, and he happened to have, you know, one or too many sexual escapades that you didn't like. I mean, he he's also, like, drunk on the job sometimes. He's not drunk. When is he drunk on the job? Except when he had the six Vespers on the airplane on his way over. To... <laughs> I mean, come on. Give me a break. Just the whole character. He's just trashing company he's cars. Probably the worst. Has, I mean, has no regard for British property. All right, these are good points. You're making more valid, valid points, but I don't know. The I mean, guy's, I would, that guy's I probably would the think, most wor- the worst person to work for. He's a prude. He's a stick in the mud. Um, I I don't know anything that I that we can say at, at with any credibility comment on the head of the British MI6. I know. Um, yeah, I know. Ha- what you're saying. However, I would say if anything, you could say that James Bond would be fired. I don't think he would have a time to be immoral. He would simply be fired because being counters would be like, this guy cost him. Yeah. How many things did he destroy on one mission? Like, put him in a desk. Yeah, that desk was a th- job, this motherfucker. That was a three million pound <laughs> prototype vehicle you just destroyed. How did we I get mean, on this tangent? This is, and I'm still, now you got me on edge because I'm kind of pissed off and I haven't even read the article. You probably just butchered with the whole story. I probably did. You just pissed uh, me off. I don't know how, how, I don't know how we did get on this tangent. Uh, oh, we, we were talking is Bond, Bond. Yeah. I thought and he you was. Were, you were. You just said no. You thought he wasn't. Well, I, I thought he. I thought you were going to compare him to what Ian Fleming's version of Bond was, and I was, I was going to say 
Roger Moore, he's, I don't he's think not Ro- that. Roger Moore never was that. Never was. That was exactly where I was going. He never was that portrayal. So my answer was no. But as far as as what we view as Bond, There's, what I like to view as Bond, yeah, he's very much. I thought he was. Is there is there drinking? Yeah. Is there gambling? Yeah, one of the best gambling there, scenes in the entire series. Is there womanizing? Uh, I mean, yes. There are women that he's having relations with. Yes. Yeah. Um, is he very British? Yeah, I think so. I mean, is he's he, wearing a friggin' is, white dinner jacket at a casino. Is he, is he witty? India. Is he using gadgets? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. This is my favorite cleavage scene. Yeah, the only thing is the there's no car, uh, but you know that's not really his fault, I guess. There were a couple cars. We debated that. Yeah, we'll debate it again because okay. there's there's no official car in this film. Um. But yeah, so okay, so you think you think he is? He's Bond as? Do, do you sin- agree? Um. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think this is a fair cinematic. I think he's true to the Roger Moore cinematic portrayal of Bond, and I think he fits. Um, he's a little on mission for this. I got to be honest. He's a little on mission. Um, he he doesn't really go rogue really at any point. Uh, much at all does he ever go rogue though does roger moore ever go rogue uh let's give me a second here to i'm thinking i i that was an open question that i'm also thinking i don't think he really does to ponder here quickly you know that really rogue Uh, stuff doesn't happen until license to kill you know and then daniel craig goes like off mission um, numerous times the man of the golden gun he was directly told not to engage scott amanga hmm and then literally directly does that. Uh, I'm trying to think. Moonraker, I think he's pretty well behaved in that one. He does go a little rogue, but then M defends him. There's that famous scene that I really enjoy um, with M. Uh, a view to a kill. He does everything, I think, on the no. He doesn't go, he doesn't disappear. Yeah, so I mean, he's been a little roguey. He's you know he's bit. he's put the mission first. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think he's he's pretty straight laced in this one. Yeah, I mean, even he's even ahead of like MI six is holding him back a couple times in this film. Like he's ahead of the new M. He's like, oh, well, then you but, should be on that flight. Well, conveniently, I already have my ticket, and I'm heading to India right now. You know. Yeah, that new M was uh, not my favorite M. He's not my favorite M either, but you know he could have been could have been worse. He's not intolerable. He's not a twit like the M in Never, Never Say, Say Never. Never. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so really, I mean, the next big thing, and I know you're you've been keen on talking about this. Uh, did the villains challenge Bond? Let's talk about the villains here. The I think thing so. that keeps Bond moving. I think so. I you, think you made it. You made a good point earlier. Um, and, and maybe I would like to hear some more on that. You're arguing that you don't think, uh, Orloff, uh, General Orloff, General Orloff is really a villain per se. I don't think so. In the film. When did he ever, all right, he did directly interact and engage with Bond because he, there was a point where Orloff engaged with Bond inside the rail car. Right. So that did actually happen. But did I ever view him as the the villain? No. 
the, at, on first viewing for the last format, yes. But the real villain of this, of this film to me is Kamal Khan because he's constantly at battle with Kamal Khan and many times he escapes and many times he, or many times Octopussy interferes and he's off limits, you know, versus Orloff is just like this footnote of a plot point. We have, to, they have to interact at some point and he doesn't even kill him. He doesn't, he doesn't dispatch Orloff. It's the, the border guards. At any time in this film, do you put Octopussy as a villain? No. And actually, there's a point I want to I, I want to get your input on Kamal Khan, but I actually wondered, did this film? And this is a very broad question, but I, I started to wonder. This is where I started to go down the path of why not just call this property of a lady? Or, you know, I don't. You know, did did you even need to have the octopusy character? Could you have shrunk this down, taken out the entire octopusy character in the film? Getting, gotten rid of the entire female character and just had some other interaction not made her such an integral part of the film so that so then Kamal Khan would have been able how do you smuggle how does an exiled Afghan prince smuggle from the old Soviet bloc into the west I don't know I don't know and that's what they needed yeah that is so why question. not make a, a female character I, I like that you know a female you know, as an eighty-three is such a prominent, powerful, you know, powerful character um, yeah. in the series. Yeah, I, I I thought that was good. Did you did you view her as a villain? There's a point there where I mean, she she knows who James Bond is. She doesn't kill him, and maybe this is where we talk about. Uh, there's some there's some therapy that Octopus is missing. Yeah. Um, she knows who he is. He's thank she's thankful for him. She's still fucking smuggling jewels from the from the east, and she's gonna make some money off of this. Like she she's not necessarily a villain, but I mean she's clearly still doing something that she's got to know is just not. He's there to stop it. She, I mean I don't feel like she's an idiot. She's got to recognize that. So maybe not a villain, but they are at odds, and I think They're she recognizes odds. that. Yeah, I, I don't um, doubt that, but I don't think she's ever really malicious to him. And, and and she clearly doesn't know the big picture she's being played here. Yeah, up into as, the, the, the up into the dearming scene, she has no idea, and even then is at odds of do I give up my smuggling operation, or is do I believe him? Right. Yeah. And so, I, you know, is this where we bring up the fact I still can't kind of wrap my head around just fully let it sink in that Octopussy, James Bond is clearly her father's peer. Oh, yeah. He lets her father die with honor. Mm -hmm. And then she fucks him as thanks. <laughs> you can view it that way. I mean. Or you can view it. Like As, what? I I know where you're going with that. It's kind. It's strange. It's kind of strange, but you can also view like like what she <laughs> she makes the argument. You know, like we're one in the same. You know, we're very resourceful people. We can do what we want to do. Come, be but with you're me. my father's age. So I mean, you know, some different strokes for different folks. I mean, it is. It's a little strange, <laughs> literally. I mean, but just yeah, I I get your point. Duly noted. 
I'm not going to get hung up on as much as you, but it is kind of strange. Like you were the, you know, but that could have been, we don't really have total context on that either. Cause that could have been the absolute first mission James Bond did. I don't remember if they go into that detail. They don't. I mean, her, her dad could have been 65 and he could have been a young buck 25 out of training. You know, where she was 18. You know, so their their age delta could not be as big as you think. Okay, it could be... I, I could uh, be looking into this wrong, you're saying. Or you could be spot on. But I, or I could be spot on. And, <laughs> and she just needs to go sit down with a the counselor. There's nothing wrong with that. Get some... Uh, talk out some of those issues her father was taken from her at a very young age and uh that's true led her to the life of smuggling and uh circus owning i gotta have a cover so absolutely what i you know what do you think of the whole kamal khan and general orloff situation do you see them as a team or do you see do you agree with my uh, no, i think they're, they're they're using each other do i think i don't think that kamal khan as a character gives a shit about the east versus the west it's all money to him Mm -hmm. it's all an opportunity to continue his lavish lifestyle of being an exiled afghan prince um i do wish that had been played up more i mean 19 the early 80s you know you're talking about the the height of Reagan and his powers, Gorbachev tear down this wall. Um, you know, the the tail end of the Cold War also had some of the highest tensions. Mm-hmm. It was that last decade of will they, won't they? If we're going to do it, this is going to be the time we do it. Um, Russia's coming to an end. Um, and the film taps into that a little bit. I wish it tapped into it a little bit more. Um, so I... I do appreciate where you're coming from and it's an interesting perspective that Orloff, not necessarily a villain but just um, a pawn in the scheme. I mean he's, James Bond is sent on the initial mission like MI6 doesn't even realize the scope of what's going on. Yeah. They're just like hey, we want to know what's going on with this egg first and foremost. <laughs> like there's something fishy here, look into it. Yeah. Um, and I mean that's really what MI6 would have cared about, the fact that the Soviet Union was trying to drop a nuke on the on Western Germany at a mil at a U.S. military base, mm. nonetheless. Um, Did you feel their portrayal of the crazed Soviet general was over the top? Because that, that was no, one not, of my, I mean, that bugged not, me. I, I don't think so at all. Because there's, I mean, that's a fascinating time in in history. Mm-hmm. I mean that. That's a legitimate, and and they go back to this motif in Goldeneye a little bit. Yes. Um, that that rogue Russian general, um, Tom Clancy, very famously taps into this quite a number of times mm-hmm. in his novels. That's that's a real character. Mm-hmm. You know that that's that was a real problem in the Soviet Union, and you see that in any um, authoritarian authoritative block in which you know there's a power vacuum and. Half of the people want to continue and stay in power, and another group of people want to move toward peace, which is, you know, when you live in an authoritative government like that, you have to have complete buy-in into the the, the country and the buy-in mm-hmm. um, of the party. And so there's obviously going to be people who can't let that go. 
Yeah. I had no problem as as a history major. Uh, I had no problem with that character, and I and I think there was a definite tension within the Kremlin at that time. You know, people moving toward peace talks with the West, uh, uh, Britain included, and, and Reagan, and then part of the Kremlin that did not want that. Uh, mm-hmm. They did not want to lose being a superpower. What do you think of Kamal Khan? I think that was. What do you mean as a villain, as a do you, character? Do you think? Do you think he? Okay, you're okay with Orlov's portrayal, mm-hmm. and do you, they're not necessarily a team, but do you still view them in the villain scheme as a team, or do you agree with my assessment that Kamal Khan is more the villain? I think Kamal Khan's the villain because he's the driving force. He's the one yeah. that ultimately, at the end of the day, um, is playing everyone. He's the driving factor that is putting everything together. He's mm-hmm. You take him out of the equation and everything else falls apart. Um, and I think ultimately chaos is good for him. Yeah. Um, so I think if James Bond had gone on after Orloff, I don't necessarily think Kamal Khan would have stopped. Or that would have taken his... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Drive. Drive, yeah. That would have you know affected his drive. I always like to ask this question. You went into some of the details of, you know, uh, authoritarianism stuff of the Soviet Union, blah, 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 rogue generals, blah, blah, you know. I say blah, 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 but, you know, just regurgitating what you said. Uh, mm-hmm. And I always like to ask, because I asked, this is one of the questions that came up. Is this one of the films where you would entertain the idea of a remake of it? You know, the rogue in, nuclear in weapon times. in modern times. You don't necessarily need to go down the road of clown suits and Mishka and Rishka and knife-throwing Fabergé eggs, but just the whole concept of I mean, I, smuggling okay. a nuclear weapon, ISIS, uh, Putin, you know, going down those avenues of different, you know. I always, Whenever I think of nuclear weapons and stuff like that, I always see them as, you know, is it a... When they, when they roll that into the, the Bond history, right. well, is I'm, that something I'm, that we should revisit? Yeah. The question is, whenever they make a Bond film, at least in the last 20 years, what is scaring us now? Uh-huh. And I think that motif of rogue groups in a either country or power group doing... Um, something to harm the larger picture to get their uh, ideology moved forward. That is a motif that can be recycled and repeated. I mean, isn't that's like every season of 24, you know, that's, that's literally the driving factor of countless military and spy and action films. Am I like the uh, Tom Cruise, the, uh, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. There's so many things like that's the Your plot. Mission. Like that's if you choose. Um, so and and I would argue that that is probably more than likely going to be something that Bond 25 uh, tackles because that's a legitimate threat in our current world mm-hmm. uh, with the you know changing governments the lack of security and a lot of these facilities the idea 
that an ISIS-like group, in this case a group called Spectre, can facilitate something that gets their hands on a weapon that, I mean, that's Spectre's MO. Like, you know, they, we've seen that in so many times when Spectre has been portrayed in the Bond series that they're doing these things to um, influence the outcome of the world so that their agenda is is moved forward. Uh, so I, I think you're spot on on the idea that not necessarily that Octopussy would be remade, but that much how everyone looked at, um, oh my goodness, Spectre, and said, there's a lot of honor majesty in this. I think people can look, will look at 25 and say, I can see a lot of octopusy in this. Mm. So I think you're touching on something. I think that's, you know, that's some good insight. Um, we should continue this conversation as, you know, r- more rumors and innuendos come out. Because that's always a question we can continue to ask. Like, what's scaring us now oh, in yeah. the world, you know? Elections speculate that. <laughs> I mean, and that's a driving factor too. Yeah, you know that's something. I mean, that would make I think more of a political film than Bond. Yeah, absolutely. usually gets into. But the idea yeah. of a, a rogue weapon is definitely something I could see. Yep. Man, speaking of, uh, do you want to go down that path for a little bit? Since we're in the James Bond section, do we have time to talk about? Uh, I think we have whatever time we want to talk about. I guess so. There's no. Uh, this is a podcast, right? Yeah, um, Daniel Craig giving that that interview um, for the um, he talked about Bond, you know, life after Bond, and a lot of Bond questions came up, and everyone's just like, "I think he'll be back." I did not see that. What 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 uh, interview was that? He had a, um, I think in New York City, it was a presser, um, and it was uh, the discussion was titled uh, "After Bond" or "Life After Bond," and I'm butchering it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was asked like directly about the James Bond series and where he is with things and will he come back. And uh, he was a lot more positive about it than after Spectre. And he, he talked about those interviews and just how exhausted everyone is. Um, he, I mean, he didn't answer anything obviously from it, but the reaction from fans after that interview was much more the world is a safe place to live in because Daniel Craig may be back <laughs> rather than, you know, the sky is falling. Daniel's not coming back. What do we do? Which is where I, I'm normally at in that conversation. I mean, the biggest thing I, I think that gets everyone riled up is that um, if, um, oh my God, um, uh, Christopher Waltz. Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz, if Christoph Waltz had not publicly said that he is conditional based on Daniel Craig coming back. Say that again. You said that is, how did that affect things? If he had not said that publicly, Uh I think everyone would be a lot calmer about, you know, Bond 25 and give Daniel Craig some space. You you think so? I don't think anybody would. I think... I think because who doesn't want to see that as a Bond fan? Who doesn't want to see those two go head to head again? And continue uh, more of the specter. And I mean, he did such a great job as Blofeld. Do you really want to see someone else step into that role right now? Um, and by him saying that publicly, it's almost like you're handcuffing Daniel Craig, which probably is not, it's the last thing you want to do to someone so fiercely private as Daniel Craig is handcuff him to that position where now everyone's like, 
you know, nobody likes an ultimatum. Like how, anybody, true. I think, can imagine being in that position where you, where the public is now saying, like, if you don't make this decision, we're going to lose Christoph Waltz as Blofeld. Like that's this is on you. I, that's not fair to place that on him, and I, I don't think that should have it's been not, said it's publicly. It's not fair, but to some extent, it's true. Yeah, but everything that's true Chris- doesn't need to be said in an interview, so that that's true. You know, the world in the middle of Bond films that has nothing else to chomp on chomps on that. Maybe he really wants him to do it, and he thought that's his best way to get him back. Maybe this is all a ploy. This is a marketing ploy. They're like, oh, he's coming back. Come on. We just need things to talk about. Yeah. I don't don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I had not read that article, though. I'll have to go uh, dive into it. Okay. I I did. Um, Did you read that article I recommended the other day? I have it up to read. I don't have it up. I haven't okay. read it. Yet. I thought it was pretty interesting. I think okay. you should. I'll touch base on it. Okay. So it was, you know, getting back on track mm-hmm. after that. Uh, I don't know what kind of road went down there. Uh, is anything really else added to canon um, in the cinematic Bond world besides the... I'm, I'm listening because I don't, I don't have anything to add here. I was like, no, nothing... Well, we know we know that James Bond. I, I think what's added to canon is the Octopussy story, and it tells you a lot about James Bond as a character. I guess I that's it, true. It adds to what we already know him to be as a very, um, I think, noble person, uh, someone who does have a deep sense of respect and pride and country first, mm-hmm. and just by offering a Those are good traits for an MI6 major agent. at the point. Um, uh, Octopussy's father, the option of, you know, death with honor rather than the shame of dragging his ass back to be tried as a traitor. Yeah. Um, I think says a lot about the character um, and I think adds to our understanding of who Bond is in the series, the cinematic series. Um, but outside of that, I don't know that much was added. I mean, we already know or we've already seen in the cinematic series that Q and, and Bond have some type of relationship. Um, it shifted with the Daniel Craig era. Um, it was almost like a father-son yeah. type relationship um, where it was very um, paternal, where Q obviously cared mm-hmm. about Bond not only as an employee uh, but as a agent he wanted to protect with good tools, um, but as someone he cared about as a person. And you could tell that they had that rapport. Uh, we get to see Q um, participate in a mission. Uh, and I don't think, I think that adds to canon in the fact that um, I doubt Q is doing this for a lot of other double O's. I think it says something deep <laughs> about them. And then adds, and here in two, what is it, two or three films, one, two, three films, when Q takes vacation and uh, License to Kill. Is it a License to Kill? When he comes to the, the, when he, uh, and the he wedding? Just, yeah, not when he comes. When he shows up to help Bond out, um, even oh, though and, he's, and, he's licensed. Uh, yeah, licensed yeah, to kill. Yeah. When, he, when he shows up, I mean, he, he's essentially putting his job on the line yeah. um, to help. And it, it adds this part of the canon adds to I, – I, it definitely makes sense why Q would do that. You're not going to put your job on the line for just any fucking double O. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. Even I think though- those are the two things it adds. Yeah, just even the little comment that, you know, he said to VJ about when, uh, you know, are you joking? It's a palace full of women. He'll be, I mean, he has a rapport with him. 
you know, absolutely. That, that absolutely. he that he probably doesn't have with other agents. Can I ask yeah. you a question, Scott? Sure. Is it too late in the night to uh, crack open a beer? I'm on my second one. All right. I'll be back in uh, uh, all of seven seconds here. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed that uh, lovely elevator music. Uh, I'm not going to edit that down. I'm just going to cover it up. (laughs) (laughs) Dedication. There you go. Okay. At least tell everybody what you're having. I'm not like not even closely related to the film at all. I'm just having a uh, Yingling Lager. That's nice in a can. I see. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking a Cigar City Brewing from Tampa, Florida Cracker, Belgian style white ale. Pretty good. So I I've discovered. Uh, so cans are coming back for those of our listeners that are beer drinkers. It's good for the I've, environment. I've, I've noticed that, and I'm I'm a big Yingling fan, but I've come across a series of bottled yinglings that they've just been sitting on the shelf and they've gone bad. And I feel that the canned yinglings last longer. They and do. I don't I have no scientific basis for that. So I've been starting to buy a lot more canned yingling. Light penetration. When I'm outside of Pennsylvania. UV in the light. That's why they're, the brown bottle is better to begin with. Mm-hmm. Clear bottles, you know, it lets more of the UV in. The, the green bottle, I don't know if that's good, bad, or indifferent. But like the dark bottle, that helps the keep the sunlight out. But a can, you got an aluminum can, problem solved. Nothing's getting in there. It's Cheers. cheaper. It's cheaper to make. Yeah, that's why a lot of the microbrews, well, uh, some of the microbrews are going down that path. A little bit of personal trivia. So Yingling, the oldest brewery in America. Mm-hmm. But when I... Run by all daughters was, now? All women? Now. Yes. Yep. Well, one of the times I was down visiting you, I was shocked at the abundance of Yingling in northern Florida. Yep. And as you explained, there's a uh, they brew out of Tampa. That's right. As well. In an old Stroh's brewery. If you ever mm-hmm. find yourself in Tampa, it's an awesome brewery tour to go on. Uh, really enjoy it. I didn't even uh, – what's the Bach? The Bach they make? It has the goat on the front. That's really good. I can't – Bach beer. Yingling mm. Bach beer. If you see it, give it a try. <laughs> we have back no to bonding affiliation the bond. with Yingling, by the way. <laughs> None. None whatsoever. Just fans. All right. Right, any scenes that stick out to you as we uh, wind down this uh, this James Bond section? I have two. Okay. You know, I'm, you know, I really enjoyed the backgammon scene with the loaded dice. He takes over the the gambling for the major, beats Kamal Khan at his own game. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that. Yeah, and we've talked about that in the past, but it's one of my favorite gambling scenes throughout the entire series. And then. What I affectionately refer to as the Camel Toe Army attacking the Monsoon Palace and the Union Jack Q Balloon. I enjoy it, but I also think it's not needed in the film. I think it's one of those things where you need to you need to shave five minutes, find another way to tidy up how you went after uh, Gobinda and Kamal Khan. It Your seemed thoughts? to me. That scene is trying to emulate the very successful underwater Thunderball scene, this yep. big battle, yep. um, or the unsuccessful Moonraker scene yep. in space. Uh, this is the uh, women in a castle version of that. Yes. And it's not bad, but I agree that it's not necessarily 
needed. Yes. And think... I'll add that. That's going to be uh, a second teaser, my story. Okay. Percy. Stay tuned okay. for that. Were there any scenes you wanted to talk about? Um, so I also, the gambling scene, I love. I know how much you enjoy that scene as well. Um, I think if to continue our series of a master um, degree of editing and looking at a James Bond's uh, film, that scene is to me one of the perfect Roger Moore scenes Mm -hmm. in which it captures his charm, his wit, and confidence. Yes. And if there's a highlight reel of more as Bond, this scene needs to be in it. And it just captured the, there's tension without the director trying to add it in. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the scene just acts so well and reads yeah. and plays off of each other. I mean, even the end when. Um, let me pull up his name here. Um, Godimba? How, how do you say it? Gobinda. Yeah, when he crushes the die. Yes. I, it's just... The yes. odd job uh, recreation, if you will. Yes. But even even as you said, like all the... It, that's... Even Kamal Khan played... He knew he was done for, but he played it. He played... He was a good loser. You know, and even just how awesome he was, how you sensed his power and his control that he has over the people with him. He just puts his hand up and the guy he has working for him behind him hands him his checkbook, Uh you know, and then he leans across the table and says, you better spend that money quick, you know, because he he doesn't raise his voice. He's just, a, you know, I'm coming after you, you know, so I really that was that reminded me and, and, you know, to a character you thoroughly enjoyed. Um, that had a lot of uh, Goldfinger Bond interaction mm-hmm. where Goldfinger loses the bet in golf, mm-hmm. um, where Sean Connery is uh, fucking with him with the earpiece yeah. um, in the gambling scene. Yeah. I mean, these are these are classic, and this scene itself, I mean, reaches that level of just classic James Bond gambling scenes in mm-hmm. which, you know, there's stake and real impact on what he's doing and it moves the plot forward it's like this wonderful interaction between these two characters like the the equivalent of the old western where they would stand in the middle of the streets and they're just staring each other down yeah yeah actually Uh, that's good and then of course you get you get the wonderful uh white dinner jacket yes um and and this scene which i know you thoroughly enjoy i do so i I, it's just a scene i think we're celebrating and just taking some time to look at just like you know well done well executed Mm-hmm. Well written, um, just good, good all around. Yeah, VJ Saturn, they're all good. The the one part that was kind of interesting to me was just like the whole exchange with Miss Magda. You know where the, she goes up to the bar, they have their quick exchange. Can I buy you a drink? No, thank you. It was it was kind of, I don't know. They could have taken thirty more seconds there, I guess, to enhance the dialogue between the two of them. Because then when they later got together and she just has dinner with him, you know, you know, she's getting in the room to get the Fabergé egg back and the awkward photo that happens. At, you know, I think if they took 
30 more seconds to a minute of actually having a drink and then, excuse me, I have to go back to help, you know, this gentleman. Right. Would it would have helped that transition a little better later? So that was just a little awkward moment for me. And I'm not sure what, was Miss Magda being dubbed? Did you notice that? I, I can't remember if she was or not. It wouldn't be I'll the have first to go back and, I'll have to go back and look at that. But I'm wondering if there was just like, yeah, we're not having much dialogue here. <laughs> okay. All right, go back. Okay. Anything else? Any other scenes that you really stood out to you that you don't want to focus in on? The one that, and even though I watched it again and I had a much more open mind, it just didn't sit well with me, mm-hmm. um, was in the Q lab where he's just zooming in on that woman's breast. I love that scene. Uh, it just... <laughs> what was wrong with that? Huh? I mean, besides so I never, things. I never, as much as a playboy as he is mm-hmm. that move was very lowbrow and lowbrow is not something that i think james bond is when it comes to you know he's not the guy that's gonna be like nice tits <laughs> Sweet yeah, cheeks. I, yeah exactly and that was a very like broy moment yeah and, was I, very and james bro-y. bond is not broy that's true that's true. You know, he's not going to zoom the camera in on that girl's breast. He's going to fuck her later that night. Okay. The, he's going to take that, her out to dinner. That, that is an example of, yes, I now support. That is an example of why I would support the MI6 directors. He is not one of us. We would not. He would not be working for us. That is an example of that, yes. Right. Yeah. Very bro-y. That's a good point. I still liked it. It was entertaining. It was lowbrow. You would never see it again. It's a glimpse into history. That's how I'm going to look at it. In the third and final scene, and yep. this is more of a question. Can you be filling up that tiny little plane with uh, whatever gas that random ass gas station is going to have? Probably not. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm trying to remember if that was a, I think it's a rocket. I think it's a rocket, liquid powered rocket engine. I can't remember though. But no, probably not. You're not going to be running that on, uh, 87 octane gas you're gonna need a little a little more oomph out of it but i liked it i thought it was funny yeah it was a funny scene in it and it and then it uh, just transitioned into a shitty song shitty shitty song well it with some nippage it, it uh, with a ton of nippage yeah like no hiding the nippage going on in that scene and a the ton yeah there was like over the top <laughs> i think that if it was if that film came out now, it would be R-rated just just on for the, the opening, just for the title sequence, just for the title sequence, probably strong sexual content. Yes, brief no more nudity, not even brief nudity, nudity, just plain nudity. All right, anything All else right. you want to highlight in this area? You want to get into the fun part? Let's uh, let's bond a little bit here. Okay. Finally, we bond over James Bond and random nonsense. And trust me, it's always random and always nonsense. In segment C we get to, bonding over Bond.
Right, thank you for listening to Bonding Over Bond. This is our Bonding Over Bond section. So you've gotten to listen to, and again, we're working on the podcast. For those of you that have been listeners and, and following along, kind of li- trying to structure and work on the For Your Eyes Only so it's a, a stronger uh, podcast and, and kind of finding our vision of what we're doing here. Um, so the first section, we're looking at the movie holistically. On the second section, as you've heard, we are narrowing in on um, the, the you know James Bond and the characters um, and, and getting into the nitty-gritty. And then on this section, it's a it's a little more about you know the history going around in the film, a little bit about us and uh, whatever whatever else we may be musing on. Uh, and one of the things that, that we pride ourselves in is some of that structure, so that as a listener, if this is the kind of stuff that uh, you know you don't really care about us as people, you can listen to two parts and then turn us off. Um, and. If you are, you know, not too much, you know, you don't really care about the story around the film, you just jump in at the B section. If you, like, really like us as people and you think this is what drives the podcast, you just jump in here. Um, but you know what you're getting in each section. Um, so just trying to work on Free that Free entertainment. Exactly. Anytime you want. Yeah, okay. Yeah, hopefully making your workday a little better. Yes. So our d- 1983, I, I've said this, this is, it's a good this year. is my jam. Yeah, it's yeah, a good, it's a good year. year. Yeah, you're a you're a tiny baby, and mm-hmm. I'm uh I'm brought into this world. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's crazy. Just stop so and you, think about that for a minute. Do you have it's any crazy. like emotional attachment or any besides? Fuck no. You know I, you know what I would love to hear, and, and maybe there's somebody we can email about this or, uh-huh. or, or, or some more research we could do, or just a history of it. But just the James Bond marathons that we grew up on. Uh, we, yes. we've talked about a number of times. Mm-hmm. Octopussy, I felt was on high rotation at that time. Those numbers and, and, have to exist. I would love they, to they have TNT, to. TBS, be like, hey. And I guess it's going to vary, right? But there has to be an auto, There has to be a poll. How many times did you... What movies were the heavy hitters? What were they? What, who's le- leading? I mean, that, that, that data well, has here, to here's exist. Here's the crazy part. So those, those movies... Those, BBC me, those One. Ma- those marathons that, that came out. You're looking at the late 80s, early 90s. Octopussy is not 10 years old at that point. When these marathons are going out, that would be the equivalent. I mean, think about it. Today in 2016, Casino Royale is a decade old. Oh, don't even say that. Oh, you know, so think about that. Octopussy was kind of the newer of the Bond films at yeah. that point. You know, it was, so that that's to put in perspective, kind of why it was in such high rotation. Tim Dalton got a lot of play, which makes a ton s- of sense. I didn't see much Tim Dalton. I, I feel didn't. like he he got some radio time. I really wonder um, if it was Goldeneye. Area, area or, I mean, it's Goldeneye. Uh, Goldfinger got a ton of play. Goldfinger, I, the Spy Who Loved Me, the Spy Who Loved Me, Octopussy, Octopussy, Doctor uh, No. Uh, yeah, some Doctor No. Uh, there's some Thunderbolt there. I feel like From Russia with Love didn't get was not heavy on the rotation. No, I don't think it was. I you did not see it that often. Moonraker, I don't think was heavy on the rotation. No. I would love to find out these numbers. I and so there's got to be a way. And I feel like Octopussy is one that stands out to me. Yeah. Um, and so my my story with Octopussy, and, and this is one of those films that I just associate so much with my childhood. Um, my dad really enjoyed, astonishingly and surprisingly enough, two-thirds of this film. And I know that <laughs> because it was not until I watched this film as an adult that I realized it, it goes past the disarmament. <laughs> I thought I literally thought for years upon years that that's where Octopussy ended. 
in many ways you could have wrapped it up right there. And it doesn't end there. It's just where my dad would turn off the movie. Yeah. He'd be like, I've, I'm good. I'm, yeah. I've had enough. That's The world quick. is saved. I don't care about that bastard. He'll get his own someday. Exactly. So my my one the first time I ever discovered there was more to this film. My dad goes, uh, and of course he takes all of us. This is a family trip. We go to Michigan in 1993. Good state. To, I was there. We were both in that state uh, for a brief period of time mm-hmm. to visit um, a friend of his that he had gone to boot camp with, mm-hmm. and they took us camping, uh, and we went to this campsite. And why? Mm-hmm. Great memory of that. There was one night. It was like raining. Everything was ruined. The girls went I don't know where. But all the guys went inside the camper. And we watched Octopussy. (laughs) And we watched it from beginning to end. And I remember looking at it and just like, oh, fuck. There's more (laughs) to this. It was like, is this like a bonus feature on this VHS going on right now? Like there's more to this film? Yeah, what is this? What's happening now? Mm. Um, and just realizing how long that film was. Yeah. And that could also be part of why my dad would always just turn it off. He's just like, 90 minutes? I have things to do. I yeah. mean, you know my dad. Like, the, He gets a thought in his head and he's like, I'm doing this now. Yes. Yes, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. He's like, I gave my 90 minutes. I'm out of here. Yeah. Moving on. Um, and I, I wonder, and I would love to see how they edited this film for TV. Oh, yeah. I would like to look back at that as if, well. If... There was a version where for TV time, they were just like, yeah, we're going to end the film here. That actually, you know, that that's a very good point. But it just brings to light the bigger question. Just think back to all those movies you watched and you recorded that was on TV on VHS and how bastardized they were. Like oh, yeah, how many, absolutely. oh my God, edited for time. What did that mean? That was like some editor was like, yeah, that's not important. I need to put a friggin' 20 second commercial of a Toyota, you know, right there for $5,000 in the 80s. You know, that was that was our childhood growing up. A lot of shit was edited for time. Exactly. You had to go to Blockbuster, Family Video, what have you, know, whatever you grew up on as your video v, block, you know, VHS store. That's that's a crazy crazy concept to even think about edited for time. We don't do that anymore. That is that is something that is dead. Mhm. For the most part. That's crazy. No good story. And so a Do you know where you were at in Michigan? This is not really important to anybody except me. I, I don't, unfortunately. I knew you would okay. ask that. And yeah. uh, I haven't gotten a chance to talk to my dad to see if okay. we can figure out uh, where we were. Um, but attached to that, and and for some crazy reason, I always associate Octopussy with the following film, Jurassic Park. Because that what? year, Jurassic Park came out. And it was this, it was one of the things we also did on the trip. Oh, in 93 or whatever? We went, yeah. we went to the theaters to see Jurassic Park, which at the time, for those of you that were of age and alive in 1993... That's one of those films that just like changed how films huge. are made. I it's mean, huge. it was just spectacular. The the T Rex scene alone, mm-hmm. um, and so it's funny the because introduction I, I will of the see... Ford Explorer. Sure, sure. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is in it. That's uh, right. <laughs> so it's funny because I'll see Octopussy and then think of dinosaurs, or I'll see Jurassic Park and think of Octopussy. Two movies that have no business and no correlation whatsoever yes. are internally linked. To me, because of one camping trip in Michigan in the summer of 1993. Good times. Yeah. That's life, man, right there. It is. <laughs> it is. You know, along those lines, you know, you, you brought up the length of the movie and edited for time and everything. Do you ever think the editors just had that question? Um, I know I'm just a junior producer here, but does anybody think this is 
just a little too long. I mean, did that conversation ever take place? Probably be, uh, not because you would be fired. You think so? You think yeah. they... I don't... I mean, it all depends. Cubby, I, Cubby I, was it, still there then. Yeah, it was Cubby and... Yeah, so I don't know. I wonder. That is, that is one of the questions I had written down. Just I would imagine, though, do you think that TBS is the one making the decision on Absolutely. the editing for time? Or oh, does yeah. Eon Production submit a TV version? I don't think so. Uh, I think that does happen. I think there are TV versions of stuff, just like there are clean versions of songs. I think that does happen, but... I would not be surprised in the way that things are sold and licensed. They're like, yeah, we reserve the right because how could you make a how could you make a shortened version? I guess you could say we have this 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 version of the four TV uh, edited for time Octopussy. We've included five locations where you can have a thirty second commercial and two locations where you can have a fifteen second commercial. I guess you could do that, but. I really think it's the it came down to the the major TV network that bought the rights for it. They decided how much they chopped it up. Mm-hmm. That was a long answer, but I mean that's just kind of where my mind went on that. I mean, do you think it was uh, the same thing? Do you, do you think they decided the TV the TV breaks? I don't, I'm curious about that. I don't know. There's got to be a TV executive out there. I can't imagine that the knows title these sequence. answers. I'm sorry. There, there's somebody that knows. There's somebody yeah. we can contact. We'll do some research on this. But I can't, I was going to say, I can't imagine the title sequence of Octopussy made it on TV. No. There's some time there. There's, there's got to be, even if it's, but then if you edit that, the songs edit it. I wonder, did they just cut the title sequence for Octopussy on the TV version? You can't do that. I mean, how can you cut out the, I mean, I guess you get, on the you, back you end, could. you get the credits. Yeah. On the back end, you get the credits, so you're still giving credit to the film. So I guess you could feasibly cut that entire thing out or just give a snippet of it. Because it leads to a natural commercial break. The opening sequence ends, and yes. then it could just cut to TBS, uh, Bond Marathon on TBS, and then that's commercials. True. And that's then it true. comes back, and then the film starts. That's true. No, that's a good point. Was the world so much better when we had mar- TV marathons? Was it? It was. There was something to be said about that? Is DVR really that good? Like, this is the only one example that I'm like, yeah public tv was good you know tv with commercials was good because we got bond all we wanted like you don't you that stuff doesn't seem to show up as much on tv you don't i haven't seen a marathon it's just i think the modern day equivalent to the tv marathon is the binge watch yeah that's the 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 streaming binge watch lost saturdays as i used to call them when you watch lost yeah that's a good point all right do you know how to play backgammon i still don't do you I? i have no idea that we game is complete great. It's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, especially since we love that scene so much. We should look into that. We'll Wiki- be that hard of a game. We'll Wikipedia that. We'll do that. We'll figure out how to play. We'll uh, we'll host a tournament. <laughs> to be- is that still a thing? Remember like 15, 20, I guess. God, it's got to be what? Like 15, 20 years uh, now? Online gaming? Remember that, like, that, that was like a legitimate thing, man. Like you would go online and like play games with strangers. You still do that there. It's just on your phone now. It's not like a big thing. Like I used to play spades and cards a lot. I I think you can still do that. You just also might be playing against a robot. I don't want that. And you're going to get freaking pop-up ads on your phone. Or you can pay $3 and get rid of the ads. So it's... No, I don't think it's anywhere the same as it once was. Or chess. I used to go online and play chess a lot with people. And just get destroyed. What is our chess record at? 
I don't know. We lost count. We never we stopped playing on that app. We had that app. We played all the time. I know because on the occasions that I won, you used to get so pissed. That's not true. Because I just I used just to stay behind defensive, 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 and wait yeah, for you is, waited for you to make a mistake, and you'd be like, is, "Why don't you go on the offensive?" That is your strategy. Okay, I'm sorry. That's so getting back on task, 1983. What a, did you look up the movies that were released in 1983? Uh, I did at one point. Let me see. Let me let me run through enlighten me a phenomenal year uh, for films. So the number one grossing film of 1983 was none other than Return of a Jedi. The number two grossing film was also the Academy Award winner for best film, Terms of Endearment. Number three was Flashdance. Number four, Trading Places, arguably one of the greater comedies of all time. Number five was War Games. I, I do need to see that one. Number six was Our Very Own Octopussy. Number seven was Sudden Impact. Number eight was the god-awful sequel to Saturday Night Fever, Staying Alive, which also starred John Travolta as a sweaty, sweaty Broadway <laughs> dancer. Number nine was a comedy that you brought up earlier, Mr. Mom. Yep. And number 10 was the star-making role for a one Tom Cruise risky business. Oh, yeah. Other films that came out that year that are notable. Scarface. Really? That was that the- old? The only other movie that's still a marathon to this date. A Christmas Story. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. A film that you, I would imagine, have to have in your top loves of films. And if you haven't seen this film. Oh, Holiday Road. No, not that one. The Right Stuff. Oh, actually, you'd be surprised how few times I've seen that. I I would be surprised, considering that's got to be... Like your childhood dream, I would imagine, long, like a tiny a little movie. sky. It's a long uh, Silkwood, if you're a lady that was alive in the 80s, must have loved that film. A film that I would imagine you and I both have seen a number of times, as probably our dads have, uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Which was my singing. Um, and a film that I've seen zero times, uh, but I know my mother has seen countless times, Yentl with Barbara Streisand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I see that on the list. I was like, what the hell is Yentl? <laughs> war Games? What about War Games? I mentioned War Games. Did it's you? the number five grossing film of the year. Oh, okay. The Academy Award winners in acting. Another, just how powerful this year was. Robert Duvall, Shirley MacLaine, Jack Nicholson, and Linda Hunt. I mean, you have some legends winning Oscars that year. Big year for a film. Yeah. Octopussy. Opened two days after Trading Places. That probably didn't go so well for Octopus. <laughs> Although two completely different films. I don't, if you could draw a Venn diagram of 80, Eddie Murphy films in, or Eddie Murphy fans in the 80s and James Bond fans, <laughs> I don't know what kind of overlap you're going to get there. I don't know. Whenever serial killers in the center, there, I always, you know, whenever I think of a bad Venn diagram. Other notable things in 1983. One I would like to spend a few minutes talking about because it still boggles my <clears> mind. <throat> uh, Paul Simon marries Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher, of course, is Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Simon, how did Paul? What did Paul Simon do? It's a beautiful voice, man. How can what lessons can Paul Simon teach us so that the average person who's also like four foot nine can marry Carrie Fisher? Personality goes a long ways. 
I, does Paul Simon have personality? I don't know, but I like his voice. Is that? Uh, I mean, he has a wonderful voice. Yeah. Is that all it, it is? You learn guitar, you learn how to sing harmony, mm-hmm. and uh, you seduce Princess Leia? She had a lot of shit going on in her life, man. Who knows? I mean, Who the grass knows? is always greener on somebody on the other side, right? That's what... That's right. Yeah. I don't know what research you what websites you use to help research the year, but I just I love some of the shit down here. They're like some of the stuff I'm looking at the toys of 1983 in men's fashion and women's fashion. I just love it. Like He Man, He Man, um, 1983. Yeah, that when they have the Atari 5200 on here. I don't remember the Atari 5200. I had the Atari 2800. I had an Atari 2600 and a Commodore. Did you have a Commodore? I did not have a Commodore. My dad was big on that Commodore 64. Yeah. Yeah. There's some pretty cool toys. A glowworm? Oh, I remember glowworms, man. Cabbage Patch Kids? Oh, that was a huge deal. Yeah. You know, I had two older sisters, so they had a lot of this stuff when I was actually getting old enough to remember things. It's interesting. It's just crazy. You know, I'm a space guy, and Space Shuttle Challenger is launched on its maiden flight with one... Was it Sally Ride? Right. First female in space? Yeah, that's a... I mean, anytime that you can mention space in a podcast, we are I will listeners do it. have come to expect that. <laughs> so 1983, kind of like a weird year historically. Like, uh, I mean, so obviously conservatism is a big thing. You have Ronald Reagan on our side of the Atlantic. You have uh, Margaret Thatcher on the other side of the pond there. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, we had the bombing in Beirut. Uh, mm-hmm. For the United Kingdom, they were getting over the Falcon War. You know, so kind of we're all in a similar place. Cold War is up in the air um, but other than that like it's just like this you look through the history of 83 and it's like just cold war tensions is like pretty much the theme of the year and it's interesting like when you look back at the year how much pop culture was like more so the thing that we reflect back to in that year and it's interesting to me when when and how and why societies like lean on pop culture. Um, and and 1983 is kind of a year that represents that where it's just like, you know, as a country, we're trying to get like through this period and, you know, pop culture is kind of that medicine that, that helps us get through it. Um, the moonwalk happens this year. Like it's just shooting enough. Like you look up 1983 and you know, there's all this stuff going around the world and, Michael, a dance that Michael Jackson does yeah. is like things to remember from 1983. <laughs> you know, like there's the Beirut bombing, 63 Marines are killed, and, yeah. and it's like this dude did a happened. dance. Yeah. You know, <laughs> which, you know, I actually, you, you bring that up. I did the moonwalk in my kitchen the other day. So, I mean, it's. How'd that work yeah. for you? Uh, the socks I was wearing was worked out pretty well, actually. But yeah, yeah I know, yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. So the other thing in pop culture that's always astonishing to me because it's, I mean, to this day, I think when you work out like the analytics, uh, the season finale or the series finale for MASH, mm-hmm. uh, 125 million people tuned in for this. Yep. And like when you look at the share, like the number of people that had televisions that could have tuned in, it's like to this day, like it's besides the Super Bowl, no other thing has ever beat the series finale of MASH. Really? And I don't think we'll ever, just the way media is... Um, people aren't watching live TV. I don't know if we'll ever. Why would you? You know, 125 million. Like that's when you look at the size of America at that time. It's something crazy. Like 
30 to 40% of the country at one time. Like that doesn't happen anymore in the world. Yeah. That, that that much of the country has stopped and they're all doing one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't do that anymore. Like the Super Bowl is really the only time um, in our society where that many people are stopping and they're all focused on the same exact thing going on. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's like, probably that's crazy. That is probably the, the, the biggest time of the year now. Can you imagine that? Just like 40% of a country, 30% of a country, all doing the same thing at the exact same time? Well, it's just, it's just I don't know, it's just crazy to think of a world pre-cell phones anymore. You know, I, I mean, yeah, it's totally different. It's a totally different time. It's not the feedback you wanted from me, but I agree with you. I mean, it's just yeah, interesting. I guess there's... I mean, what is the population of the United States? I mean, no, you you can't do it. It also makes me wonder, like... Was it really boring? Like, I mean, was it just, I guess, TV sets, you know, obviously weren't as economical and were a lot more of your, your, your financial take home. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, what, what, what were the other reasons why that, that, I mean, why weren't people out dancing or I don't know why, why was that? Was the show that great? Did it have that much staying power? Mash had a, there was a huge I know I know I had a huge, huge culture show you know but why is that why, why are the other reasons why that was the case because there's been plenty of great shows along the way I've seen lots of Mash Mash it was entertaining but I, I don't know I mean it was also on for eleven years so like in yeah. those eleven years you could have been a fan for a few of those years you're still going to tune in to see what happens at the end how's the show end yeah and there's really no show like that I mean just TV uh, doesn't operate like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, where anything's I mean the Simpsons I would argue I would be interested I would think the Simpsons might be the only thing that can rival that when that show comes to an end I can imagine just over the course of 20 plus years I mean is, what is it going on over 25 now 1989 it's yeah it's almost approaching 30 excuse me but how do you even measure it anymore total clicks total data the, pool the Nielsen ratings they have a um, oh that's crap come on I, you, I, you can't do a you can't I do mean, a comparison it, anymore because some people are going to stream it, some people are going to watch it on YouTube. Yeah, they have those numbers now. They have do they? they? Yeah, they updated it so that the boxes Nielsen uses they can track uh, what you watch on DVR. Plus, with the DVR numbers, um, all that's reported back, so they were able to tap into all those numbers. All right. Uh, so the Nielsen ratings are it's a plus seven. Um, so you, any show that's watched within seven days, I want to say, is counted as quote live. And then there's another set of numbers of well, that's shows. That's unfair. That, how the hell has nothing beat MASH, to your point? I mean, what would? Seinfeld? Seinfeld what, I don't know, what, but it's what like other you show have, had you such have, a... If they put such a broad range of if you watched it within seven days on any device, you would think numerous shows have beat MASH. Yeah, but just, you have to, the, just the number of people that watch television, like if 10 million people watch a show, it's considered like a hit, like a, a great hit. Yeah, you know, back when I Love Lucy was on TV, like fifty million people were watching that every week. Oh, and I guess too, dumbasses, we haven't talked about the cable network and the expansion of channels. You know, yeah, there's more than five channels. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I guess that's a huge factor. There's more content, so there's more things. So for those of you listening, uh, this is now uh, bonding over TV. Yes, bonding over TV, (laughs) stating the obvious on a ten-minute tirade. Yes. So one podcast, we talk about NASA for 40 minutes. On another podcast, we talk about the history of TV in 1983. And, and true experts on TV are cringing <laughs> that we didn't see the obvious. 
Oh, interesting. It's still How interesting. does all this relate to Bond? It doesn't. We're it just doesn't. bonding right now. It we're, was once on TV. Bond brought us together and we're bonding over this. You know, to, so to bring it all in in a nice little bow so we don't get angry tweets. Do you think 1983 blended into the movie was the question, what scares us now, addressed in Octopussy? Uh, yeah, to some extent. Clowns, clowns scared us then, and it scares us now. They should. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a fair statement. I also think there was a lot of. I would have loved to know the timeline, <clears throat> and they had to know like what was the timeline. And I could have done this in research, and maybe you have. What was the timeline that McClory won his case to use Spectre? He locked up Sean Connery. I would love to know the timeline of the the development of this movie, and I should have I should have studied this ahead of time, but I never really thought about it. Like, was this a rushed together script? I and I, I don't remember that off the top of my head because I'd be curious to. McClory moved pretty quickly <clears throat> upon he... winning. I think it was within a year. Yeah, he's cobbling together. Never say never. He had been. I, I, but I, I mean, think... the story's freaking done. You know. Yeah. Right, so there's not much to do there. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know if Octopussy necessarily comes out in 83. If Never Say Never is not announced with Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. I could see this push to 84. Yeah. Um, but it was in the books to be done. You know, they had been following the, especially in the, the Moore era. Actually, no, in the Moore era, they had that break, though, in between The Spy Who Loved Me and... The previous Moon. film. Um, Golden Gun? Golden Gun. Okay. Wasn't there a break between Spy Who Loved Me and... Or was it Spy Fire and... Eyes? No, well, between Raker? the two is Moonraker. Yeah. I think there... Wasn't there a break there? Yeah, I can get an answer to this anyways. We'll but check yeah. that really quickly. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Anything else you got? Are we... Uh... We get there. Yeah, I think there was. Uh, I think we. I, I think we're. We are winding, winding down. Yeah, I guess the one thing was there, and we talked about this tad, a tad. But do you think anything was changed? Do you think there were any changes? I think the big domino effect is bringing more back because Connery is doing, and that's it, really. I mean, is that really it? And and well, in one sense, you know, that one move alone. Saves the film, and I've said this a few times, saves the series. I don't know how well, I mean, could they have rebounded after an American is in this film? You know, there's just such a domino effect. I I don't think so. That happens because of Never Say Never. You know, Moore comes back, he decides to come back again. Tim Dalton, the trajectory of that, there's just, the ripple effect is just astounding, you know, on this and a lot of it goes back to um, also his decision to come back one more time with uh, For Your Eyes. I don't understand um, that. That is something I'm definitely going to dive into when we get to that film. For I, Your Eyes only? I, un- I totally understand why you bring him back for Octopussy. And when I when I was doing research, I was like, oh, of course. Yeah, of course you bring him back. I don't understand the encore to the encore. So... 
No, you mean so for your eyes is before. Yeah, not for your eyes. I, I was thinking of view to kill. I don't understand that at all. I don't understand. I mean, for for your eyes only, why they bring it back? I mean, that's the film I've always argued. You, Tim Dalton, should have stepped in at that point. Yeah, but Tim, that's the film. Tim Dalton said he's too young, right? He had said he was too young, going all the way back to his name had been thrown in the mix since Honor Majesties. Oh yeah, his, his name's way... been out there for a while. Yeah, shit, that's uh, ten he, years he ago. Tur- he turned it down again. Uh, for for your eyes, he just felt he wasn't ready or he wasn't right or something wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more comes back. I didn't mind him in I didn't mind him in for your eyes. That's where I think honestly, after for your eyes only, that's the natural progression where I'm like, all right, great job, Roger Moore, good job. Okay, who's out? Who are we on to next? Oh shit, Sean Connery's coming back. All right, give Roger a call. Let's get him back. Like I understand that progression, and then it's like uh, two more years later. Oh, who do we got now? Everybody's tied up. Call Roger again. Yes, we all agree you're too old, but we need to. Well, I mean, to... The, and that one we'll also talk about. You got to remember how close Pierce was. Yeah. I mean, so there was a scramble. Oh, after... was, was that the uh, the the Remington Re- Steel? Remington Steel forbid it. Uh, and um, they wouldn't free him up, so they, they were scrambling again. And so it's like, let's go back to the thing we know. And that's Roger Moore. Um, I would have loved, you know, bringing all this up and it would have been uh, tongue in cheek, but I think that would have been perfect for the Roger Moore error to throw in the idea of kind of like never say never touched upon the older bond and the idea that this mission is something that only James Bond, like there's a reason we're sending him back out into the field. Mm. Like this is just something up his alley or he's the only one available. You know, just something like that that would have touched upon why an older Bond is going back out, you know, again. And yeah. I think that would have added a nice touch to Octopussy. That would have been a nice touch. Or I guess you would have had to break in Octopussy earlier. Because you, you don't know Octopussy's even involved until uh, Bond gets captured. I don't Not know that he captured. would come back because of the Octopussy story. You could say just... you have a family connection. Right. And I mean, the mission itself starts pretty simple. It's just something's going on with some with this egg. Can you go to Check an out auction? This egg. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, it turns out into like the first. I mean, the mission at the beginning is almost like, why are you sending a double O on this? I yeah, I remember that was your argument last time. And it could have been used like he's older. He's not doing these missions anyway. He's just uh, like oh double O. Like uh, he's available. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the original 007 is still available. He's getting ready to draw retirement here in right. two months. Go ahead and send him out on a last last door, like an easy an easy thing, and then he it gets all convoluted from there. Yeah, you know, and, and we beat up on him. If I was Roger Moore and I was listening to us, I go, "Fuck you, fuck you." <laughs> I would. I mean, he I was fifty five years old. I look better than most fifty five year old men. I didn't have to run much, and I did. I played a damn good James Bond. Yeah, yeah. You know, he did, in his defense, I enjoyed watching him as James Bond. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, you know, it's easy for us to say, you know, he should have stepped down or would have been time. But, like, how hard is it to quit something you're A, good at, and B, you love doing? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, how many it, people have hung on a little too long, Dan Marino? I mean, <laughs> it's just... 
I, yeah, I don't, I don't fault him. And he generally, it. It, it, from any, from interviews I hear and things I've read, he generally had a great relationship with Cubby. Yeah. You know, and, and everybody that was making the film. So, like, why not come back and, you know, just hang out with people you love and play this character that you're good at? Mm-hmm. We would have all done the same thing. Probably. We would have all done the same thing. Ready to bring this home? Let's do this. Good morning, people. I just landed in your town. Good morning, people. I just landed in your town. All right, man. Next time. We're finding out live with our fans here which film we will be covering. How do you want to do this? If you you had to pick a (sighs) error, do you want to, do you want to A, go back to Connery? Do you want to stick with more now that we've done one? Do you want to go back to modern? What's your preference? What would, what would be the perfect follow-up? I don't want to go to Craig. I would be fine with anybody except a Craig film. Okay. I would love to do a Pierce. Yeah. I would be fine doing a Pierce. Uh, I would be fine doing a a View to a Kill to continue this conversation to some extent. Um, Connery is less down. I would rather do a Pierce or a Dalton. But or a Pierce, I would you, rather do a Pierce. You only live twice would be another interesting one. It would cons- it would go it would follow the trend of reexamining that we've been doing. That's true. All right, let's well let's find out what it is. The suspense is killing me, and the movie is number two. Really? Yep. All right. Are you excited about this? It's my favorite, man. I know. From Russia with this love, baby. A, this is gonna be a friggin' love fest. It's is it is. It's gonna be a ton of art just loving up on this film. So oh my god, I haven't seen from Russia since we did we started doing the series. Mm-hmm. So it's been over a year. I'm so fucking pumped right now. <laughs> I'm gonna watch the shit out of From Russia with Love. Yeah, I think oh, I will man. too. I you better be ready to defend a lot of arguments though. I will crush you. This film is still the best Bond film ever made. We yeah. will continue this discussion next month in our Christmas edition of Four Your Eyes Only. Oh man, we should have had uh if luck was on our side, we could have had Christmas Jones. We could have done The World Is Not Enough. We could have, but luck did not did not come out with us on that one. But still, that's a Christmas present for me. It is. That is definitely a Christmas present for you. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. During the Thanksgiving break, I got off. I got a few days off. My birthday this month. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah, dude. That's a I'm birthday watch- present slash Christmas oh my God. present right there. I'm going to watch From Russia like ten times. <laughs> Not really. Probably I five. I bet I watch it five times. <laughs> I don't doubt that. All right. Well, if you wanted to download our podcast, where would you get it from? If you have an Apple phone, you can just simply go to the Apple um Excuse me, uh, iTunes, the podcast app, 
mm-hmm. and search Bonding Over Bond. While you're there, go ahead and leave us a review. Please. Give us some stars. Please. Yeah, leave us a review. We need that. It helps us. It helps more listeners find us. Uh-huh. It helps move us up so more people can find this wonderful podcast. We can continue bonding with other bonds, yeah. Bond fans. I'm a fan of constructive criticism, so uh, be nice, but also leave positive and uh, constructive feedback, please. I'm a fan of private constructive criticism, so send us an email at bonding overbond at gmail.com. Nice. Or you can send us it a, there. That's, that's a good point. Or uh, you can send us a tweet at bonding over bond or hit us up on our facebook page absolutely bonding over bond you can get us on Podbean and stitcher and google play if you google have play. an android or if you have a, a a google phone the beautiful pixel is coming out i may be jumping ship to that beautiful phone no I, way I'm, I'm thinking about it have you seen have you seen the i haven't list? i haven't looked i'm they're paying me no money to say this it looks beautiful for the plug, and I the, I use so many Google apps. We just I, talked about this today. For the plugs Google we keyboards, do for, for those that need to have an Apple Google keyboard, man, it's it's so it's just that you you have the the gifs that you ask me like, how do you get so many gifs? And we're texting each other back yeah, and yeah, forth yeah, talking yeah. shit. The Google keyboard, it's wonderful. You can swipe. Oh, it's great. I'll have to look into that because I was just like, oh yeah, you know the Google keyboard, the Google search feature. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's wonderful. I love Google. I use so many of their apps on, on my iPhone that it, it makes sense for me to look into this. All right. And that's, for that's free, fair. hey, Google, if you're listening and uh, you want to give me a free phone, I'll talk about it on our podcast to uh, oh, all of our listeners. Seiko, Seiko, you know, this was the bonding of, you know, the, the Roger Moore era. And we didn't talk about the fabulous Seiko watch that he wears. Coincidentally, Seiko I wear. also wear a Seiko watch. Yeah. You know, it's got some years on it now. If you want to be like, hey... Keep plugging Seiko. I will all day long because I like my Seiko watch. <laughs> I myself and am a uh, Omega. Well, I don't. I'm like I don't. I couldn't afford a fucking Omega watch if uh, I wanted to. So Omega, if you're listening, I would. Uh, I would love to wear one of your watches. You know, we'll. Uh, we'll the NATO wear. band on it. Absolutely. We're on Periscope now, so we can. Uh, we can show our fans. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Hey, and uh, lastly. Where would you go in the interwebs to see our content? Absolutely. Just go straight to www.bondingoverbond.com. That's right. It's just a one page. We're still building the site. But from that one site, all the links to where you can download our podcast. Mm -hmm. um, And then you can go straight to where we're being hosted right now at the lioneyespodcast.com. All right. And Art, Mm -hmm. if there's one thing to remember, what would it be? When you grab life by the octopusy, get consent. Indeed. Thank you for bonding with us here at our Bonding Over Bond. Until next time, shake it. Don't stir it. I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. Thank you, Mr. Bond. Name's Bond. James Bond. Forgive my curiosity, but... That's my little octopusy. That was a lot of built-up podcasting that we had to get on tape right there. That was good. That was nice. Talk to you in a couple months.